Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulevi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 14 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. ProXC Skiing, a new global digital winter sports community, is available for all cross-country skiers and fans. ProXC Skiing is a digital living room that connects athletes, fans, and brands of the Nordic winter sports world. On the ProXE Skiing platform, you can get news, training articles, product tests, live streaming of events, and much more. ProXE Skiing covers all aspects of traditional cross-country skiing and long-distance skiing. Additionally, as a member of the community, you can also enjoy the perks of three other sites in different languages. The Norwegian site at langren.com, the Swedish site at lang.se, and the Finnish site at mastohito.com. Be part of the winter sports community and join the ProXE skiing family. Hello, everyone listening to Usha Tulevi podcast. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen. And now we have a really special episode because we are going to take a look at the season, season 12, all the events, pro teams, athletes, all the fun stuff that's going to happen and also talk about the new new things and, and new rules a little bit as well. And my special guests to, today are the CEO of uh, Vismaski Classics and W Sports Media, uh, David or David Nilsson and Gustav Koskren from Team Ramudden, Team Director there. Good to have you guys on our show. How are you doing? Let's start with you, David. How's life in Sweden? Well, it's actually quite good. We are in the middle of prep last preparations for the events coming weekend. And uh, we also had a big launch last week for our new digital universe. So it's quite hectic, but that's the way it should be this time of year. Indeed. And we'll talk about those uh, new digital platforms, of course, on this episode as well. Uh, Skåne, any snow there by any chance? It's actually been a snowstorm here, but... Uh, it was more snow that we had for the last four years, the last week. But now it's plus eight degrees, so it's kind of melting fast away. Now it's quite green again. <laughs> well, that's sad. Unfortunately, you know. yeah. Yes, indeed. We have a little bit of snow here in Finland. But Gustav, what about you? Where are you right now? And um, how does it look over there? Uh, I'm in Åre, uh, where we live. And um, it's really good. It's like half meter of snow, so it's almost the best place in Sweden I think right now and uh, the slopes are opened um, the cabin to the top is open that's a good sign that it's good snow um, we have a part of the Årefjells Loppet track is open for cross-country skiing and it's looking really 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 good so um, yeah it's um, it's a bit stressful right now with the uh, premiere coming up this weekend and Christmas so it will be good to after Christmas just go away to the Alps and enjoy the rest of the tour in on tour as you say. Speaking of which uh, how do you like about the Anusha being being there the, the opening for the season not Livigno which is kind of used to be the, the location for us to get started? Uh, Going to Lavinia or going to the Alps this uh, 
this uh, in December. It's really, really nice to come down to the sun. It's so dark up here in the north, but uh, logistically for the team and everything, it's uh, really good for us in the northern part. And I think also that uh, this location, this uh, uh, this uh, ski resort, Grönklit, will make this event really, really, really spectacular and good. Yeah, it is a good location. Uh, David, what actually prompted that change? Why Usha this time around? I mean, uh, we have always said that the prologue and the final weekends should be dynamic because it's kind of a way to also promote uh, the sport in different ways of, uh, of Europe and elsewhere. And it's also... I mean, we've been for many years down in, in the Alps in December, and it's, uh, I mean, with the launch of, as I think everyone knows now that we're changing a TV channel in in Sweden from Discovery to SVT, I think it's also quite good launch for them. And we can already see that that the interest, uh, we know internally, so to say, that we have on Thursday a media day where where uh, we prepare for the season every team takes photographs of all athletes and you know they that get used themselves but we also use it for television and for the for the tour and we see that both nrk svt and internal uh, journalists from uh, local media etc in um, scandinavia are coming there so it's it's definitely an advantage to have um, to have a season start in scandinavia because after all the interests are stronger here than in the rest of the world. So I think it will be more, more focus on the prologue here. On the other hand, of course, all of us love to be in the Alps in, in December when it's kind of sun and feels, doesn't feel as gray and dark as it might do in where we are from, all of us. That is true, but we'll be we'll be in the Alps after New Year's though. So the, the whole tour, you will then continue there. But let's talk about the, the overall season uh, first from sort of general general perspective. And also, David, you can go through a little bit about the, uh, the new rules and things, new things that are happening. So that'll be next for us. So David... When you look at the season, we have 14 races in 12 locations. New races, some interesting ones, some returning ones, like Tartu Ski Marathon. That's coming back, which is a great race in Estonia. But when you look at it overall, what do you want to say about this compared to, of course, the past years and last season was a bit of a tricky one because of the pandemic. So what's your take on the the upcoming one? What we've said is that we want to have 10 to 12 events before and because we feel that physiologically that's kind of the the limit because you need to be able to train bet- between the events in the weeks etc so if we have too many there's kind of no period in the winter where you can actually try do some extra training and get get back in shape if you understand what i mean so uh, but this uh, then we also had a lot of feedback from the pro teams and the athletes especially where where they want to do back-to-back races that they actually when we are somewhere why not do two races like you do in uh, in most other winter sports at the same location because you're kind of already there and people are hungry for competing and want to be seen as much as possible for their sponsors as well on tv uh, so we tried it as you know last year and it fell very well out it was actually kind of surprised we had in in volodal and this saturday sunday event maybe gura can say something about it but but we saw I mean, long distance is, after all, long distance is quite tough races. 
on the other hand, we know that the Tour de France is 21 stages or so in, in a month. So we know it should maybe be possible. And what we saw actually on the result list Saturday to Sunday, when we did back-to-back for the first time, was actually that the, the ones who was resting on Saturday just to perform on Sunday, making a tactical move, we cannot see any positive results for not skiing on Saturday, if you know what I mean. I don't know, Gura, what's your... I mean, you're closer there to the sport, but what's your take on it? Because it was kind of that those who were resting were not better than normally, I would say, in the result list on Sunday. Yeah, why did that happen, Gustav, physiologically? Uh, well, I said it before that uh, this is... I think it's better to compete both days and it will be an advantage to the second day uh, to compete the first day. But uh, traditionally, we have in our sport... Uh, set up some limitations and uh, a lot of people was skeptic and they were but um, it's it's good to see that we we tried new limits uh, we moved limits and uh, we are now I think like David said uh, we can uh, say that it's it's no problem to compete two, two days in a row if you're prepared of course and, uh, and if they're not, not the too long, step, the races. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, still, like we we don't know the limits yet. Uh, we are moving forward all the time, and we are uh, pushing pushing what we what we are doing. And uh, so, I, I have no clear answer. Just uh, that uh, we're open to to set up uh, new new calendars in the future and try new stuff. So. I think it's uh, positive. How the Temo, you did, uh, how many days was it in a row when you did 180k, 1,600k this summer? I mean, you did actually, did you feel it was 10 days in a row when you did 160k per day? What's kind of your take on the, over the, were you more and more tired or? No, actually, the funny thing is that uh, Gustav Wright, I mean, you can actually, you get better. Towards the end, there's some research done among the cyclists that uh, you talked about the tour, for example, that they can actually uh, push harder towards the, the the end. Of course, the heart rate won't go that high anymore, but in terms of watts, you know, they, they measure everything in watts. That's what Rick talked about, you know, the uh, team, your your coach, uh, Gustav, and he said that uh, they actually perform at least at the same level as they did on the first day which is kind of interesting. So, I mean, Gustav, you're right. I mean, we could try like maybe 100K back to back, you know, yeah. <laughs> twice. That would be pushing the envelope a little bit. But uh, of course, energy-wise, you have to think about that. It's uh, two things. is the kind of your body, but then also the energy. And can you reload yourself after a race like that? If you only have one day, that's kind of the, the question. But hey, cyclists do that all the time. So, yeah. But Gustav, when you look at the season, uh, overall, new races, traveling, and what David just said about the breaks and stuff. How happy are you with the uh, with the calendar? Uh, I think it's good for the sport and good for us that it's it's a full calendar with with these with the races all winter out. Uh, but as a team manager, <laughs> it's an expensive tour <laughs> right now. But still, it's uh, this is the way it will be and should be. So um, the most, uh, I think, it's really good. Uh, like always, that it's 
like a tour that you're in a location in the middle of Europe for a couple of races, and then you move up to Scandinavia, and uh, logistically it's it's really good. Uh, a challenging thing this year uh, is that it's a lot of high altitude in the beginning of the season, so we have to uh, adjust our traveling a little bit and go to the high altitude much earlier than we used to. So we're in our team, we're leaving directly after Christmas Eve uh, to high altitude to be prepared for the first races. So basically what you're saying is that since they are taking place that high up, you need to go there and prepare yourself much more than in, in the past, maybe. Um, yeah, you could go... The, the first race before have been on like low altitude, right, David? And then after the first race, we often go to Engadin, which is high altitude. And then it's natural that we go to the first race, uh, you don't need that much preparation, and then we go directly to high altitude, be at that location for like a week or so, so into that first race on high altitude, and then it goes on. So. But this uh, first race in Miserina after Granklet is uh, two races on high altitude. So uh, to be prepared, this is a pro tour. We are professional. We will be do what it takes to be as good as we want to at that competition. So we go early. So, uh, David, speaking of this high altitude, was that something that you guys had in mind or just they just happened to be that high up, you know? But was something conscious that you guys thought thought about when putting this calendar together? No, but uh, with, as good as said, of course, we tried to keep those races together as uh, when it's possible. It's, it's very many factors when we're putting a calendar. It's, you know, every destination have different time spots when they feel they're they can host an event like this. Some uh, des tourist destinations are completely sold out already from uh, so the Alpine tourism or whatever. So there's not all weekends possible for them. And then we have this puzzle where we have to make, as Gura said, it's very important for us to make the logistic trip around Europe that we make the less kilometer that's possible for, for everyone to travel and uh, trying to make that as much as possible. So uh, it is a tricky one. Of course, before we can say that in... In the season in general, we normally have La Diagonale on high altitude, but that was probably the only one around 2,000 meters, so to say. Uh, now we have uh, two weekends in a row, so that, I think, is new. On the other hand, we used to have Livigno, which is high altitude, in December. Now we stay lowland there, so it's uh, some differences, but um, I, th I think we should definitely have a race in the Alps between New Year and Christmas somewhere there when we like a startup race maybe on a little bit lower altitude what about that Gura? you know if the location is right it doesn't matter if it's high or low altitude it's we just prepare for being so good as possible so i think it's more important to 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 look at the events and the distance and everything like that so it's it's good for the for the sport and we will adjust i think uh, it's High altitude, high altitude, low altitude, you just have to be prepared. And uh, we know how to prepare. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a big deal. We're 
elite when skiers. Say, <laughs> yes, exactly. But when you say prepare, you know, one thing is just to go up there and then train. But how do you train in terms of the kind of the intensity versus uh, endurance? And now I'm talking about before a race. Yeah. First of all, <clears throat> you have to... It's a mental thing first. Uh, you don't have to make a, such a big deal out of it. You know, it's, um, uh, it is what it is. Uh, that's the first thing you have to set up in the mind of the skiers. Uh, and then it's, you also have to know that it's different from time to time when you go to that high altitude, depending on what shape you are when you come up to the altitude. Uh, so we're trying to be in good shape when you go up then it's easier to adjust. If you're in bad shape when you come up, it takes longer, it's it's um, harder to control your training before when you're adapting the, the, the body. So, but if you know these basic rules uh, and you know that you can, uh, you must uh, maybe change your program or listen to your body every day the first week then it's not such a big deal it's a lot of talk of how you should do and how to set up your races and how to train exactly and blah 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 uh, but um, just some basic rules and then you find out what's what's the best way so basically you're saying that you just need to adapt let your body adapt to that uh, yeah, not to worry that. about the intensive or interval yeah. sessions until you're ready for those. Yeah, and uh, have in mind that uh, it's not the same thing every every time. You just have to listen to your body. And when you go up, be in pretty good shape, then it will be much easier. Indeed. Uh, David, what about the new things, new rules? We have some changes there as well for this upcoming season. Can you go yeah, through them? Start, uh, I can try. You can uh, maybe help me a little bit. But if we start with, uh, because there are quite many, with uh, the calendar changes, then, of course, Usha, Usha destination, Usha Grönklit that we start is is very interesting start of the season because Usha is in Sweden. I would say mostly in Sweden, very famous cross-country destination. People in the big city regions go there for training because it's normally very good conditions. And closest part, place from Stockholm, where you can get actually good cross-country skiing early and then during the whole winter. So it's really, really fun to be able to show Usha Grönklit for, for the world because I think it's not so famous outside of Sweden. So being there, and they also have great LOC with the, the former... Uh, vaccine coach of Swedish national team Urban Nilsson is uh, head of sports there and Fredrik Byström a former Ski Classic, Visma Ski Classics pro team athlete for Lager 157 etc. He's the pissed machine driver and a, a lot of other things as well but he's kind of making sure we have a very good track uh, so so we feel we, we are coming a little bit coming home even if we haven't been there before so that that's a, a great feeling so so from the calendar perspective of course uh, that's the biggest change. Uh, and then the new events in Muserina after 
after Christmas and New Year's. That's very exciting to see not only the events there, but that I mean the destination, but also the the fact that we try individual tempo for the first time, and that's something we've been looking on for many years. We got feedback, you know, from many of the athletes that this is something that we could maybe try, and um, so we're trying this year and see how it falls out. And the, when trying it, that we also make an uphill individual tempo. So we start low and finish on the top. That I think is very exciting. And it's it's kind of a long, tough climb, the whole race. And of course, giving them full climb points uh, in addition to, to the uh, yellow points, it's quite natural for that race. So so that's from the, from the calendar perspective. Um, from rules, I think uh, one of the biggest news, I would say, is... Uh, uh, well, that's three big news. First, we introduced what we call the, the 300, 200, 100 point system. Last season, we introduced, uh, we had this in mind, but we, we introduced it step by step. So we introduced that we'd have, we had different points of um, the Grand uh, Classics events. So the, the four big ones, Marcelonga, Isarska, Vaslop, the Birken, we already last year implemented there was 300 points to the winner in those. But now we also introduced that when we have so to say, what we call in our words for the criterium races, where we have this uh, pre normally in the pre in the early season because it's basically not enough snow to make a real a to be long distance race in December or January. Then we make this loop kind of setup, which is not normally what we want to do, but it's a way to start the season and with good quality tracks. Uh, so then we also introduced the 100-point system for those so that you get lower points if you win. And this is, we'll see if it's right or wrong and what the feedback is, but it's a little bit from the comment Andreas Nygård had uh, a couple of years ago when, for different reasons, uh, he said that after Emil Persson won the, the Livigno race, that he said, but this is not real, real long distance. Uh, Emil Persson, of course, showed him opposite last season that it doesn't matter for him if it's long or short. But, but when it's so to say not 40 plus, we think it's um, or somewhere 45 plus or so, depending on altitude, we think it's maybe worth thinking about having only 100 points because after all, the it's kind of long distance what we're doing. So we don't want. In the end, we want that. Um, the, everyone sees as the best skier of the season should be winning the yellow bib. That's kind of what we, what we focusing on. So that point system is one. I don't know if uh, shall I go ahead, Temo. With yeah, the may, other or, or, or maybe Gustav can uh, comment on that. What do you think about that? Gustav? Is it right that we the races are not equal in that sense? Do you think it's 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 a good system that some of the races are, you get more points and some less? Uh, I understand the basics of it and uh, the possibility also for for skiers to, to 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 prepare more for more important races or bigger races uh, for us um, for our athletes we see it as if you win a competition in the Visma Ski Classics it's still a glorious victory so even though it's 100 points or if it's 300 points, it's still a victory. But um, yeah, we will see um, if the, I, I think it's a good thing. And then if it's too big of a, from 100 to 300, that's a, 
too big step or I don't know but uh, it will find we will find out soon and if it if it will be if it close in the end of the yellow bib I think it will be maybe discussions of which one took points in which competition or something like that but that's also the dynamics of it that's a good point and you mentioned the 300 pointers you know the races maybe David you can talk about those that's the grand classics ones yeah, exactly. This we introduced for that season where we have, uh, actually we have a change this year. We, ha we used to have what we call the Alp and Nordic Trophy was, was the first half and the second half of the season, which was a way to, you know, make sure that even if you had, I remember Petr Liesen one year was sick in the beginning and he couldn't compete. And then he kind of missed the half. So basically his season was over, but that then he could re recharge and find energy to to actually win the, the Visma Nordic Trophy, which was the last five events. So he kind of had something, even if you know he, the yellow bib was gone, he could kind of try to get one trophy. But uh, that was the reason we had it. But on the other hand, now when we introduced the um, Grand Classics event, the big ones, the four, it feels natural that we have one competition for, for those. Even if, I mean, of course, we have the Grand Slam, making if you win all four the same season, you can get 100,000 euro. But it's never happened. So we feel it's also very natural that there is either if you don't win all four or not, there's still for the best one, uh, there's still um, prize money for, for these four events. So we replaced the Nordic and the Alp trophy with the Grand Classics trophy. That That's kind of the, the, the test or for this winter and see if that falls well out. It feels natural to, to have it. And... Uh, this three two hundred and hundred points is also a way for us to reflect the price money. That could be that's also quite important to understand because we want to increase the price money and we do it quite a lot. We have increased. I guess, I guess it's launched when this podcast is out, but we have increased it to three hundred thousand euros. So we're increasing it with uh, fifty thousand euros. So it's quite uh, a big increase from our side in in the budget uh, for uh, the season price money. And uh, in addition, we we want to have these events and have a diversion of the prize money so we're able to do. Because for some of the events, it's very, very, especially when you have two events the same weekend, it's very expensive to have um, have the events. And that's something we should remember. It's, it's, it's a lot of cost for the proteins, but it's also the fact that the events are most often struggling with the events to host our events because it's very expensive also to, to have a, a Proton event. Uh, it's, uh, you get a lot of income because you get marketing and you get skiers coming and athletes and staff staying in your region and hotels. So there is, I mean, in a tourist region, tourist level of economy, there's, of course, a great income to host an event. Because in average, I know that Marcelonga and also Vaslopet have been calculated, and it's about 1,000 euro income per athlete that comes, whether it's recreational, if it's an um, pro team athletes but it's still a lot of income to the region but that the loc the event that hosted don't see that money come in because it goes to restaurants hotels shops and so on so for the loc it's also a, a, quite costly to to host an event but but the 300 200 100 points is also connected to the price money which is 30 20 or 10,000 euro minimum per event so that's also that's also good to remember so yeah, that's a little bit the price money changes. We have uh, always, this is actually quite interesting change in the in the rules, is that 
I think it was Gura was one of them behind it, that the big pro teams said that we could, first of all, we take away the VIP money, which makes normally the top 10 men and women get a little bit money for every race that she comes. It used to be called the red group, the VIP group for us. That is taken away, and instead we're lowering uh, those money we put to lowering the registrations fees for all proteins. So the smaller proteins get contribution from the big ones. I think that's a, it's a good message from the big teams. Uh, in addition to that, we also uh, do um, uh, changes in um, in the uh, protein uh, Magnus Jatukat. What the hell is the difference, one demo? No, but another interesting change we do is that we change the point system of um, the protein uh, competition. So, and also the prize money in that, uh, or I would say rather the prize money than the points, but it's more t- pro teams that get prize money. So we used to be the top three. Now we, I think we have changed it to the top seven. So it's lucky seven getting of the protein. So more pro teams, we spread the protein um, Price money into more teams. I think this is also an important sign because it's uh, it's very very important competition, and we try to emphasize a little bit more on the focus on this competition during the season. And also in the sprint and climb competitions, now it'll be seven best male and female athletes that get points. That's also something that's new. Yeah, I mean, as everyone knows, we. Uh, our focus has been to be the leading green and equal winter sport tour. So the equal part is, of course, that men and women are competing on the same same possibilities. And uh, we had one the one factor that has been kind of uh, dragging behind is how many people, how many men or women that will get points in sprint and climbs because there were so many in the more men competing. So there was more men that got sprint points. Now we are finally where we can say we have 100% equal. So we are changing so it's the lucky seven and so that's kind of the, the our thing that's lucky seven in both the sprint men and women climb men and women that get um, prize money or uh, yeah they get points but they also get prize money because that's also new demo that we actually hand out prize money for each point you take so if you take a uh, for every climb point in the end of the season we summarize it up and it becomes prize money so it matters. Every point you take will give you a return in the bank account after the season. And also, it's good to point out that when you talked about the Visma Grand Classics and that trophy, so we have those four races are Majalonga, Iselska 50, Vasalopet, and Pirkebanner in it. Those are the classic big races, and those are the races for 300 points if you win that. Uh, race. Uh, but Gustav, when you now listen to David and these, these changes, there are a couple more to come. Uh, but uh, as a team director... How do you feel about those? About the price money, totally, of course. <clears throat> we also want athletes to, to earn more. but um, And uh, it will rise uh, in the coming years, of course, as David say. And it's important that it's, what is it? Was it 550,000 euros up this season? Uh, so that's good. Um, and it's... I also noticed that um, uh, we had spread out some of the money on uh, like this. Um, if you take earn a point in the sprint or the climb competition, you you get uh, some cash back in the end of the season. Uh, and I think it's these things, uh, and also that you can win a 
win some um, some money at the sprints directly. I think it motivates a lot of the uh, the skiers that are not often in the top ten and not fighting for uh, money in the overall or stuff like that or they are just coming there some of the athletes are maybe in the yeah, 30 or 40 but they take the chance and go for a sprint and go for the for the climb and that that will be interesting if that falls out to be more motivated for some of the athletes and also for for some skiers that uh, maybe come and just do some competition in a team uh, that will bring some some extra boost to the competitions um, and maybe we should uh, say Temo that it's quite easy if you want to want to see this all this prize money uh, in the different categories on our ski classics homepage there is under pro teams and competitions you can find the graph because it's quite many and let's see how to spread this among different categories uh, Temo if I if I take the word we have one more change which I, which I think uh, two more that I think is very interesting first we have something we introduced last season. It's called the service zones. That are actually trying to make it. Uh, it's actually limiting where you're allowed to give drinks because we have seen when we have been growing to 35 pro teams that they are at some events there are pe- basically people standing everywhere to give out drinks and it's never a, a calm time for the athletes competing. And also the fact that for the smaller pro teams it's been quite difficult to have as many service people out as the bigger pro teams. So we are limiting, and this is a start this season, we are recommending, we're not going to use it at all events, and it's not a must, but we are have a very positive feedback from the events also that they can have a more controlled setup. So basically what we're doing is a little bit from, from motorsport that we have a service zone, which is about 500 meters long, and normally it's in connection with where there is a recreational drink station. It's not always the case, but but we have a start and a finish of this service zone. In that part, the, all the pro team staff can give drinks and energy, uh, but you're not allowed to give uh, energy or drinks outside this zone. And this is also a zone where we throw away trash, like in cycling, we have a trash zone, which is this one when used. Uh, of course, if you have equipment problem, like in Team Ramon and Max Novak have a couple of incidents last year, I think it was some broken poles and some broken skis or whatever. But that, of course, things you can uh, adapt all over the track. So that's still uh, something that's, that the teams have to consider. But anyway, I think we are making, it's an interesting step to create these service zones. Also for the events, having a little more control because we've seen, even if some places, uh, you know, we have also traffic problems around the course because there are so many cars and there are many stressed people driving quite fast to get to the next service point. So so to, to do the service zones, I think it's uh, it's a right step, but it's uh, something we will implement over time and, and also, of course, look look for the feedback. So maybe, Gura, what's your take on that before going into the last point I have about changes in the rules? Uh, we will see how that will turn out for, for us as a team. It's two important things. We are normally, we're like two or three servicemen who will try to give... Uh, drinks to to seven athletes during the race so for us to to manage that uh, we just hope that these service zones are in good locations for us to 
to make it when we are so few servicemen. Uh, so, but it's um, it's good to control the, the service. And it's been it's uh, it's been a lot of incidents with giving uh, drinks to to the athletes throughout years throughout years. So, I think it's good to to get the the, the yeah some control of that. Also, it's really important for the athletes. Uh, you know, we go long distance, and uh, it's extremely important to get the carbs. And uh, we are uh, aiming for every race to get like 19 grams of carbs to the athletes per hour. And uh, to get that, we uh, we need at least uh, the, the athletes to. We have to uh, be really uh, controlled to. To give them this uh, this fuel to to perform, uh, and uh, that's a really that's I think also a challenge for the for the events to 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 give us the opportunity to to control this for the athletes that they get the fuel that they need when they have to perform in the last two three four hours. But also, so, also so what I think is that. It's kind of the other side of a coin is that it makes it quite quite equal to all the teams when you have these service zones because like the smaller teams for example Basalopet you know the big teams can have you know scooters and all kinds of stuff they can be anywhere to feed uh, their skiers which smaller smaller teams can't but now if you have a uh, serving zones everyone needs to be there and ev everyone has access to those places so it's a little bit there are pros and cons, you know. For, I don't know if it's the smaller team or the bigger team. It's, uh, you know, I don't know if we are, we are a big I, I team mean, or a small team. But we also see a change in the, in the technology that also, when I started with uh, Team Experit and those, we always had the small bottles we give everywhere. But I think most teams, I don't know what you say, they go around, now have the drinking belts that actually change belts rather than give bottles. Is it the same for, for Team Ramadan or? Uh, we have uh, almost never used it because we have problems with the belt that uh, first of all, we can't control this 90 grams per hour for the athletes that, uh, uh, that they get the fueling that they need. And also some conditions, they're, they're, they're freezing. But uh, you know, the technology will move forward when we will get some heated belts or heated things that will be good. And uh, yeah, we'll see what will happen. Speaking of that, Timo, we have another rule change, which, which is quite important after the incident in La Diagonela last year. And this was, Gura was... Gura is always a great supporter of, uh, you know, moving the sport forward. So it's actually... Well, he was contacting us before the race, see what, what's possible and so on in the rules. We um, have now pushed on into our rules, which is normally the same at the FIS ICR, but we have introduced on top of the ICR, because that's how it works, that the Ski Classics rules is valid on top of the basic ones. It's the same in the World Cup, that you have FIS ICR and the World Cup rules on top, because there's specific rules for specific disciplines. So the same is the way it works for us. And in those, our rules, we have introduced also to say more open uh, 
use of uh, heated equipment. So we are allowing at all races, all temperatures, because otherwise it's a gray zone, what temp, you know, went used or not, but to use heated socks, soles or gloves. So that's a new rule from, from this winter. We will hopefully make it uh, less possibility that we have this incident like we had last year in La Diagonela. So that, that I think is a very important rule. Another rule change, I have two more, Timo, if I, if sure. I may. Another rule change we do is that we are also saying then in the Ski Classics uh, rules that our races are, are in classic techniques in the Pro Tour and that all the subcategories are allowed to use at the whole races. That's uh, to show a little bit how we see about that. And the last rule change, I would say, is uh, a quite important one. It's the veteran bib. So we have a new bib. We've been waiting for some years because uh, we've been looking. Of course, we introduced the youth one because we had uh, quite high average age on the podium. I think in the beginning, like season two or three, we had 38 and a half years average age on the podium. So we saw that if for a new skier like uh, around 20s, it's a long way to be able to have the endurance needed to win the races. Now that's changing with Emil Persson and, and so on. Max Novak, a lot of great younger skiers showing really good results, but and also on the female side with Ida Dahl, etc. So, so we have um, seen a, a development there, but we introduced the youth bib to make, you know, also the young ones feel that they have something that then, then could compete uh, already from the first season, they're part of the tour, because it takes some years to get the experience. And then on the other hand, we, we see also the importance of, of uh, our old heroes like Anders Aukland and Stanislav Rezak and to feel when they are, uh, this is Anders Aukland's words, but when he turned 45, he's almost 50 now, but he felt that he could not compete on the same level anymore, but he could almost do it until 45. Uh, but then he felt that endurance and also the capacity was going down the last years, meaning he, he will, hopefully I'm wrong, but maybe might not win a race again because physiologically it might be tough, even for, for him being kind of a superhuman. But but we see the importance for, for also the, the one who had turned over 44 to be able to, to have something to compete for because those are great assets to, to our sport. And they have done so much for the last 20, 30 years to promote the sport so that there are something there. And what's interesting in this veteran bib, First of all, it's only one bib. It's the best, best 44 plus in the Ski Classics ranking. So the, the ranking is not the bib standings that changes every year. The ranking is the best 12 events the last 24 months. So it's changing all the time. And the, the ranking there, which is open for also recreation skiers. So it's quite interesting that principally it could be a a person outside the proteins that's allowed to wear the veteran bib. So I think we have 80,000 or so in our ranking um, database. And of these persons, everyone over 44 is in that bib. And I, I don't remember, but it's several 10,000 of skiers, of course, in that category already competing where only one is allowed to wear the bib. So it's also a way to show integration between the pro teams and the recreation skiers and promoting the ski classics ranking to show that this is a way where you can actually compare yourself and be able to to be part of this ski classics even if you are not in a pro team so uh, that's the veteran bib
And of course, Anders Auckland is the one who's, who's going to be wearing it for a while because he's still performing quite well, as you said. Yeah, for sure, he will start in the bib. But as we know with the ranking, it uh, you know you lose the ranking points quite fast if you are sick or if you something happens. So it, and if you if someone has performed well, it, every Monday at lunchtime it's updated from the last uh, events, and also then the two years ago events are are disappearing. So it's actually every Monday there are quite significant changes so at the moment yes but um, and the Schalke, i think is in ish 21st place last time i looked and the uh, reasak is in 31st place but it's not many points between them so i will be surprised if it's only one person having the bib for the whole season actually i think uh, stanislav is uh, aiming for that bib i think uh, he's hungry for challenging (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed those two legends Uh, i think david you covered pretty much uh, all the rule changes one thing i want to point out is that of course pro teams right now they must or must have registered two male and two female athletes for at least five events that was something that was changed for this this season as well to to make sure that uh, they will sign in for races correct yeah, that's great. And uh, maybe we should also mention, I mean, we have, <laughs> I, I mentioned this many times, but we made this this evaluation meeting in May every year and we have so many changes, most of them from the pro teams and the, and the team directors that they, um, you know, IDs that we get during the season and we evaluate and we try to adapt as much as possible. But uh, one thing we're also doing in, um, in USHA at the pro team tempo is for the first time we start men and women on the same podium together. The whole team will stand on the same podium. And then the male skiers will go out and 30 seconds later it's the female skiers. So that actually is, uh, you know, it's it's one team event. We have the delay so that they get their own races. And, uh, and the male skier is a special rule that if he falls down, he needs to be 20 meters away from from the female skier. So he cannot kind of pull the female skiers uh, if he's, should be strong enough. I don't think they are anymore because if you lose it, you're, the female skiers are stronger, I think. But um, anyway, so that, that's a small rule. But I think it's very interesting to see that we don't, we had this pursuit before that were first the male skiers and then we have a pursuit where the female skiers were deciding who's actually winning. Now they compete on the course at the same time, but a little bit time delay. And then we calculate the second best female and second best male time into a total time, and that makes the winner of the pro team tempo. So we'll see. It's an extremely complicated TV format, and for us to follow, you know, all all the different teams, male and women, at the same time. But uh, we will evaluate it after, as always, and see see how it is. But for the first time, we can say it's a real pro team tempo. I mean, team tempo also for the female skiers, which I think is very important. Indeed, and that's going to take place uh, this Saturday. And I think next we'll talk about the the season, the events and the pro teams. We go through all the 35 pro teams uh, country by country. So that'll be next for us. So we've been talking about USHA quite a lot there at the opening, and you just talked about that uh, protein tempo. But there's another race there as well, following day, uh, the individual one so can you uh, say something about that david before we move on to misurina and the the season yeah the sunday race is what we call an individual prologue of course it's a mass start meaning individual that is not individual start but it's a mass start but it's individual in terms that you compete person to person not as a team so to say in the same way as the day before but uh, 
Yeah, it's a normal. Uh, we have a, a loop course there, as we said before, that it's uh, the beginning of the season. It's nowhere that where we can see we have an A to B long distance race ready. So, so we do it on a loop and. Uh, we introduce also, since this is a prologue weekend, we want to open all bibs. We want to have sprint. We want to have climb points, even if we might not have the best climbs, etc. So we lower the points on Sunday. So it's actually half the, half the points on sprint and climbs just to get it open because it might, you know, it, it's two sprints and two climbs every year in the individual prologue, but that's quite massive in a short race. So we don't want it to be too heavy in terms of the overall sprint and climb bib competition when we come to the end of the season. So that's why we have this sort of light version of points handed out in the in the Sunday event, but still we're opening up. So when we come to the third event of the season, all bibs are are so to say on its way to to the final destination. So Gustav, when you think about these prologue races, uh what's how do you feel about them? I'm they of course, shorter races, early in the season, a chance to introduce the teams and so forth. But from a pro team's perspective, how important are those prologue races? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long wait for the athletes. So I think, and I know the athletes are really anxious to, to get there to, to competing and they're super motivated to perform good results and... Uh, uh, they're a bit nervous about how how they're feeling, so uh, it will be a really intense. It will be, be intense competitions, um, but uh, on the other hand, it's uh, it's a presentation also for us for the teams to get together, uh, uh, meet up with the with the. With the media and have photographs and uh, for us also it's in Sweden so we have uh, people who will come and and uh, and uh, cheering for us and everything like that so it'd be a more really should be a more relaxed uh, weekend uh, and also with this with this uh, pro uh, time trial competition uh, I, I noticed that, or I believe that uh, it's really important to have this uh, this format uh, with the with the ladies in this with also like a time trial, uh, team time trial. Um, of course, it's maybe it's for the for, for the win. It would be like five six teams will will uh, competing for for winning, uh, but uh, of thirty five teams, but. Still, it's it's really good for you competing against other teams in the in the result list. So if you like teams who will be like around fifteen, you compete of the top fifteen. You compete for the top twenty. Everyone have a competition, and I also think that it's really good with this. It it's uh, equal with the ladies and the men. It's good for the teams and the team spirit and to to. For, for the team to be uh, a team, um, so um, yeah, I think it will. And I think yeah. I, I think Gura, that what maybe you mentioned, but I think the skiers also think it's really fun to do that yeah. one. Don't you think that it's kind of fun event? Yeah, and uh, they're cheering for each other and they are together to, in this uh, in this competition for real. And 
yeah, everyone is looking forward to it. We are looking forward to it. Uh, the athletes in our team is really looking forward to it, and it's uh, for us. Um, yeah, we're we're the ta- we are the team to beat, even though uh, uh, Lager One Fifty Seven has been really really good in the this type of competitions before, and we I don't know if we have been like top six for the best, but. Uh, we're ranked number one, and everyone wants to beat us. We're we're feeling that. <laughs> real real ramudden. Ah, I don't think so. But, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's very important what Gura said there because first of all, the protein tempo is of course, as we said, the top seven in the end of the season. Those get prize money, so that's one thing for the protein competition. But there's another line too because the, of the 35 protein licenses, top 20 gets a renewed license automatically. And this is super important for the teams which are 18. I mean, the smaller teams which might not be able to be top 10, but still it's a quite hard job because we say we refuse quite a lot of licenses every year. And if you drop out of this top 20 spot, you're in a risk zone. So it's also extremely important for the smaller teams to be you know, getting good protein points, etc. So they keep themselves over this line of top 20 because then you're, you can breathe calmly and you will have a license for the next season as well. Indeed, that is a good point. And this weekend, as you guys said, this will be the uh, the kickoff, you know, for the season. Season 12, starting with the Usha Klit Pro Team Tempo, that's on Saturday, and Usha Klit Individual Prologue on Sunday, a 43-kilometer uh, mass start race, but of course they're racing individually. But then we have a Christmas break, the holiday break, New Year's. Some of the teams, like you, uh, Gustav mentioned, uh, will go to, um, you know, to Central Europe for high-altitude training. And then we continue in Italy. That'll be then January 8th and 9th. First Trisime Criterium and then Misurina Individual Tempo. Again, two races back to back in Misurina, Italy. So, David, a word about those two? Yeah, it's a new new destination, even it's very close by to where we have been because it almost touches the track of the old Tobla Cortina, so it's uh, a little bit higher up there. If you go from Tobla to uh, Cortina, you, you take a left in the intersection and you go up a little bit Serpentine Road, then you are in Misurina. It's uh, it's the commune, Aronso, which is the name of the commune, is the one owning the Trecime mountain, it's in that commune, and Trecime is the most famous mountain in Italy, it's like the national mountain of Italy. So every, everyone in Italy knows very well this uh, Trecime mountain. So, uh, uh, yeah, for, to be uh, in this part is, of course, new. It's a little bit challenging times because it's also, you know, the last Corona year, we remember that it hit Northern Italy very hard in the last uh, last uh, beginning of last winter with the Corona and so on. So, so uh, two years ago, it started soon. But um, but this part has been quite hit, so it's been a little bit difficult times to to set set everything. But I think we are ready for for this year in a good way and um, and build from there. It's a it's an ambition to uh, to build over time. And we already the, the Saturday race is quite similar to what we will see on Sunday in Usha. That it's a criterium, meaning that you make loops uh, on a ish seven k course, and um, then we have. Um, the Sunday race, which then is this, uh, which I really look forward to, the individual uh, individual uh, time trial, or what should we call it? But we call it the individual tempo, but it's, uh, I think time trial is maybe a, 
a good name too, that you actually start 30 seconds between each person and then, uh, you know, you, you ski for yourself, basically, not in a mass start. And that's would believe the first time ever, except for then the pursuit race that women have done before in the protein tempo that uh, we do individual starts in the Historoski Classics. Yeah, Gustav, how's that? You know, that's a little bit different. Uh, that's not a mass start. In, that's an interval, interval start that's used for, uh, you know, kind of a standard distances. Uh, yes, it is. But uh, from the traditional perspective, this is almost just uphill. So it's like a uphill individual time trial. So it will be um, it will be really interesting to try that format. And that's something for us. Now it's uphill, but we also see if this works well out, we see the, definitely the possibility to have a flat and an uphill race every season maybe. And we see this type of race we can make in, in destinations where you might not be able to, to have a full-scale event for different normally financial reasons. Why not having, for example, a flat individual time trial in uh, Obramegau in Kanish Ludwiglauf? That would be a great place where you can kind of maybe not having snow conditions for a long race, but but making a shorter one is definitely possible. So we see like that this can also move us back to arenas where where we want to be, but maybe there's not been a sufficient track for for a long distance race. That's an interesting idea. So after that, uh, the tour moves to well stays in Italy, moves to Valvenosta. It's an interesting race. Really, uh, something uh, that I'm really keen on keen on uh, uh, seeing how it goes because the 75k kilometer race around that beautiful uh, lake Rennen. that's the lake with that tower uh, <laughs> church in the lake we call it Demo. yeah exactly so uh, tell us about that a little bit it's it, it, that's a real long distance now 75k exactly now but we have uh, we're pretty familiar with with the LOC now, we can say, because you all of us probably remember two years ago when we had the La Venosta up in Milago, which is very close. Milago is actually very similar to the Miserina race, I would say, in, in quite many ways. It's, uh, we had the same kind of setup there. But, uh, but the Milago was a little bit too tough for recreation skiers, where it's kind of important also for us and for the LOC to that everyone should be able to be part. So they decided to move down to the lake and together with us. And then we also prolonged it to be 75K. So it's it's a much flatter race than La Venosta, uh, completely different scenery, but uh, a really, really beautiful race. And uh, as you say, you will you will patch that, pass that church tower a couple of times and we'll see it a lot of times in, in TV, a little bit like the snow sculptures in China. I think you will... You can you can prepare to read the history of that uh, church tower tema because you will need that information. Uh, indeed, and you mentioned the recreational skiers, so they have a chance to do this race the day after. But that is a fifty-kilometer race, meaning twice, uh, two times that a twenty-five k lap, uh, as uh, com- compared to the elite skiers or the pro team skiers who who will do it three times. Yeah, you can actually do twenty-five k too, so you can choose one or two laps. So it's something for everyone on the Sunday, and then you can watch the race on Saturday and share for your stars. And what's really interesting is that by that time, and we've gone through five races, they all knew, 
Osharis, two of the Usa ones, uh, then the Misorina ones and Regenserenen. They all knew. But then uh, the tour continues and goes to Engadin La Diagonela, which is an, an old race. Not an old race, but it's been around, you know, for about eight years now. Uh, although it's a bit shorter. This time around, it won't be 65K. It's 55K, a new start place for that race. Yes, uh, and that's uh, the main reason is the the coldness we had last year. But also we've seen it before, so it's not. It, it's it is. Uh, I think uh, good. I can confirm. It's kind of a, a cold uh, spot where the start has been down at the golf course in Swatch. So and we know from from so say, the mountain settings around the course that the sun comes up earlier up in Pontesina. So the LOC has made. The, the change, so it shortened the race from 65 to 55, but on the other hand, you get pretty much uh, the most part of the course because we had the section that's cut away is kind of where you go back on the, on the next to the airport, you go back there uh, anyway. So uh, you will see that and uh, yeah, or we never feel happy when we shorten the race, but on the other hand, it's also a high altitude race. So the 55K on, on this, a course, I think, feels uh, tougher than it sounds. So even if it looks flat and it looks a little bit short, I think it's a great event. And and as I always said, I, probably the most beautiful place in the world to be winter time. So so yeah, that's my take on it. It is definitely really a nice place. They have like 200 kilometers of Kroom Trail, some nice glaciers that you can go to. So if you go there, uh, you should stay there, you know, f f for a week and just train. But Gustav, uh, do you think it is, it's a good move that the race is now shortened? Um, like David said, of course, we want to have, uh, we have the, we want to have the distance, but uh, I think for this race, uh, it will be really good. It's an extremely cold spot where the start is in La Punte. Uh, but, um, and now we will start probably in the sun and be in the sun for like 45 minutes or something and then go back. So it will be really nice. And also for the recreational skiers, it will be um, more, I think, uh, a more pleasant journey with, uh, with this start instead of going 10, 12 kilometers in, uh, in, the, in the flat area before you go to Celerina and then St. Moritz and then back to Pontesina. So I think for the, for the whole race, this is um, maybe a really good change. And uh, um, we could see as to when we looked after the race and analyzed the weather forecast and, and the, not forecast, but the weather fact, so to say, when we got it from the Swiss meteorological office, uh, it was when we had uh, you know, cold temperatures in the start there was lower than minus 20 and, and, and so we had about at the same time minus 12, 13 in Pontesina. So it's a very big difference between... Pontesina is a little bit higher up, so it's a big difference there. Kind of all the cold goes to where... down the valley to where, where the old start place was. So I think it's a huge difference for for the skiers if you have a cold weather. And it's also covered by the mountains. So as you said, the sun won't really shine there in, in at, at the, the old start area. But good. So then the tour leaves uh, Switzerland, goes to Italy again, and we have Marcia Longa, the long march, so to speak. Uh, so Gustav, why is this race? I mean, so much has you know, been said about this race, but why is it 
one of the greatest. I mean, every time we talk to skiers, not just elite skiers, but everyone, for some reason, this seems to be the race. Uh, yes, it's the, the atmosphere and the history. It's the same track as always uh, and the Finnish uphill. Um, those things together have made it such a yeah, cool rock and roll, super prestigious race. So, yeah, it's a nice atmosphere atmosphere in that valley. And uh, everyone who comes there for the first time uh, agree with that. And you mentioned that climb, Cascada Hill. That's certainly a landmark there, the 2.5-kilometer climb all the way up and uh david you been... have some news there yeah okay well please go ahead and tell us we have... <laughs> no, but we have some uh, uh, first of all the, the start time which this was actually an idea from uh, from gura that we should try to you know, have actually the men starting before the women so they start five minutes before the women we tried it i think it was two years ago the first time and uh, so that we continue with and the uh, Second thing is that we introduced, we changed a little bit the sprint and climb points. The, we have a sprint now in Kanasei after 18k on the top. It might be strange that we have a sprint on the top of a climb, but it's kind of in between there if it's a climb or a sprint. So, yeah, we, um, we every year we, we, we change, I would say, quite often if it's a climb or a sprint. So, but we are looking what athletes are first over the line. That's what we look quite a lot on when we decide. So it's really in between, but it's a sprint there. And then we have a new climb, which was supposed to be used last year, but due to Corona, they were not allowed to, to go through the small um, streets there. They went uh, on the other side of the river, if you remember. So in the Infinita, which is actually in Soraga, op- almost opposite the start area in Moena, there is a very notorious climb on Marsalonga. In the, first you have a long hill, then you have a really tough up uphill where we have seen over the years Jürgen Auckland making some moves and some other skiers in the history so it is a point where we want to see full speed and then uh, of course we keep uh, the climb in the in the Cascata because Cascata is maybe the biggest X factor as Gura said in in the whole tour so and the sprint in, in Predato those are the same so it's two plus two now this year but why is that for you David why is the Marcelonga uh, so special is the same reasons or from from the organizers but being the ceo what's about Marcha longa it is something special i think every year in january when you come before you turn up the mountain road up to to the cavalese you're down in the in the valley in the trento area and you see all these mountains, these blue, blue silhouettes after each other. It's kind of you get those goosebumps down there when you start driving up from Bra, or I think the name is on the down there, and you drive up the road. It's kind of you know already there. You feel this is something special, and then the, it is a folk fest like nowhere else. And I think it has to do with, of course, being in a, in the hospitality of Italy and and all that. But in addition, that there's you know feels like the first spring event if you know what i mean it feels like it's always sun it's a little warm in the sun you feel you get this feeling you normally get in scandinavia in april and you get it already in end of january and i think that feeling for me makes it also very special that you feel it's you know what skiing is supposed to be around you know sitting in the sun skiing 
having a, you know something warm to drink or something. It's a it is a great place and a great LOC, of course. They learned so much over the years. So, ah, special place. And I think it's worth mentioning that that Valley Valdifiem is also location for World World Cup, you know, to the ski and the World Championships. So it is a famous location, you know, when it comes to long distance ski. I mean, skiing in general. So yeah, that, that where the Olympics will go in twenty six. Exactly, but then after that, uh, Yiserska Paresatka or Yiserska fifty. That's then uh, on Sunday, February thirteenth. Fifty kilometer classic technique. These two races, Machalonga and Yiserska, they are both those uh, Cran Classics events that we talked about earlier. Again, this is a little bit. Um, we talked about this uh, in the past. You know how this one has grown, evolved. And you mentioned the Folk Fest. You know that's a name that's often used for this this particular race, uh, the Petrichov small village up in a up in the mountains. There, of course, Liberec is closer, which is a big city there. It has a unique atmosphere as well, and a lot of skiers pick this one as well as their favorite. But uh, Gustav, why this one? I mean, why why do so many skiers like Iseska? It's uh, of course it's a prestigious race uh, a lot of good skiers has performed well throughout the years but then also with the atmosphere at that place at the stadium through the track and for us uh, we have the we have recreational skiers in the same race uh, and with these recreational skiers making it's like they're our audience and you get like in Marcelonga in Vasaloppet and Iserska you get really close to to the other skiers also <clears throat> and that makes uh, uh, makes it feel like it's a real huge and cool event when you when you meet all these other skiers and love this uh, these races and doing it and uh, oh yeah it's something cool about it and it's a tough course a lot of skiers like the course there's a long 10 kilometer climb at the beginning then another tough climb two climb points there it's 50k it's not the sh- longest race but it's certainly one of the toughest courses as well yeah and it's a race where there can be a lot of changes also and you go good uphill but uh, then the downhill to the stadium is coming and uh, there will be changes often in the in the field so uh, like Marcelonga they're like full speed 30-40 kilometers per hour to Cascata and then BAM it's three kilometers all out uphill here is uh, more more things happening throughout the race yeah, and and if I may, uh, Temo, I mean, both these races, Marcelong and Temo, has been winning the best event of the season award, which is by the pro team athletes and, and staff uh, that every, after every season that Orifice Lopet got last year. But it says a lot. It's not so many events that actually have received it. So it's, um, and, and as Gura said, I mean, it's the finish also. I mean, if Marcelonga is the slowest 3K before the finish, this is probably the fastest 3K before the finish because it's, 
I mean, I don't know what kilometer per hour they have when they come down to the finish straight, but I think it's it's a really high speed finish which has a charm as well. And then the really short stretch, you know, before the finish line and the curve, where, for example, Oscar Cardin uh, fell down uh, this season or the last winter. So it's it's very different, as you said, you know, the, compared to many other races. Uh, but then after that. Partu Marathon in Estonia. That's one that's returning. And that's a great race. It's actually one of my favorite ones. I've done it many times. And it's a great race uh, in Estonia. It's ha- Everybody's probably happy to see this returning. Yeah, I think so. I mean, these three races is uh, seven. Lucky seven races, we can say. More than seven, uh, 7K, 7,000 people or more races. I mean, in normal years, so to say, when there's snow. But uh, so it, it's three really big races after each other in terms of uh, recreational skiers. And Tarto was part of, uh, wasn't it the first two editions, I believe, or at least the first edition. And uh, it's definitely one of the of the best courses in the tour. It's like a 60 plus K roller coaster that is kind of a little bit up and down all the time over small fields and small, not not mountains at all, but small small fee, uh, like um, roller hills so what can we call them yeah, it's, it's, undu- it's, really, it's really... undulating all the time it goes up and down as yeah. you said yes it's really a roller coaster feeling so i think that that's why many skiers including i think it was thomas alsgård and so think that it's kind of the best courses in the world because it's so exciting to ski it and uh, being in the baltics is of course natural for us we have you know a great ski interest in estonia over all all times so, so to be able to connect that it feels natural for us and it also logistically wise coming from Jisarska instead of you know taking the boat home to Scandinavia for for many of the teams you kind of take a ride and you go to to the Baltic so it's logistically it's kind of on the way to the Scandinavian events so it makes sense for many reasons and um, and they also now have secured a good uh, backup solution. In, we know that this is a, a area with where the snow situation is not always perfect. So uh, we uh, they have secured a quite good uh, 7K course on artificial snow in the Utepe area in case as a plan B, which has been important for us, uh, feeling that 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 we the chances the host events in one way is very very high. So good stuff. What about your team? You've talked to your your skiers about this. How do they feel about uh, racing in Estonia? As as David said, in between the uh, the Central European races and Scandinavian ones, this is in the middle. Yeah, uh, I never been to to Tartu ski marathon. I've been to Ottawa a couple of times and uh, on other competitions, but uh, it will be really exciting to go there to. To this um, to this event, I heard a lot of good things about it. Um, in the for for the athletes, it's been a little bit like it's yeah you're coming home from coming home from the Alps close to the Vasloppet weekend. Should you go or should you not go? Uh, for us, it's um, this is a tour. This is a pro tour. This is a uh, this is a competition as equal as the rest of the, the competition. So we will go with um, with no regrets, as I say. We did go there and, and compete. So we're looking forward, forward to it 100%. And there will be a two-week break before Vasalopet, the race that you mentioned. Also good uh, to point out is that Tartu Marathon doesn't have a wave start. 
HMS start, everybody start, all those six, seven, eight thousand skiers, as David said, will start together with you guys, the, the pro team athletes. And that's also a great sight to see. Uh, yeah, and, and I think it's each 20 start tracks besides each other. That's I always like that feeling when you feel it's a wide start field. It is really wide for the first uh, four kilometers until it kind of goes to the forest. So, But then we mentioned Vasalopet. Well, again, so much has been said about this. This race, always the first Sunday of March. This time will be March 6th. 90-kilometer classic race. I mean, Gustav, Vasalopet, it's... It's always number one, not just for you guys in Sweden, but for everyone. But why? Why was a lot bit? The history again, I guess? It changes your life if you win. Okay, tell me, when you say that, yeah. what do you mean? It changes your life? Yeah, try it out. Get a win. It changes your <laughs> no, life. Well, I don't think <laughs> I will be able to do that anymore. But <laughs> oh, I will try. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after you have everything have come from, yeah, it's a big event, it's a historic event, it's the 100 years anniversary this year, uh, it's extreme, a lot of people for the, the whole week, it's over 50,000 people doing some kind of competition. Um, if you, as an athlete, win this race, you will always be a winner. Of the Vassal of it. Um, Daniel Tunnell said a really uh, interesting thing. He he won it three times and uh, he talked to himself and asked himself if if I haven't won it, who would I be then? <laughs> mm-hmm. So basically, what he's saying is that it, it is so prestigious that by winning it, you become more than just a Vassal of it, uh, winner. You become you will cultural be a, legend, in a sense. Yeah, you will be a. You win it, uh, and you have the the victory. You have done it. You don't, um, and you win it again. You don't defend it. You win it again. And, and I, I mean, you get in the stone. I mean, you become a hero. You're actually in the stone there in Mora, and everyone in Sweden, people know, remember. I mean, it, it's much, much bigger to win Vasalop, but then, for example. Um, I'm not comparing in a bad way, but with with a World Cup race or so, because there's so many. But when a Vasilop winner, people remember, as Gura said, from all time. And if one of my heroes, Thomas Vasper, one of the World Cup skiers, if there's one thing he regrets, he said in an interview, it's that he never won Vasiloppet. That's kind of, he he feels uh, he's missing something that he never did it. So I think it's really huge uh, for for skiers in Sweden in particular. I will yes, compare and I... it to the Holmen Kollen. If you win the Holmen Kollen also, uh, the World Cup race. It's um, really, you have, it also changes your life, especially in Norway. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah, or Olympic gold. I think actually Vasaloppet is on the same level as an Olympic gold. I would say so. Yeah, Olympic or the World Championships. A lot of people, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, pro athletes, they compare that to, you know, and 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 uh, they say that that to win this is as as important. So, so that's Vasalopet, of course. Uh, the history uh, we could talk about the the race itself, you know, uh, until the you know uh, the days end. But uh, after that, there's another really a classic and legendary race in Norway, Birkebeiner in it. 
And that's yeah, and we, we're happy to, <laughs> with all, uh, we really very much hope so to be back in Norway because we did Birken kind of last year in Sweden, which was very strange because this is uh, Norway culture. So, so to be back uh, on the real course, it's kind of feel really exciting. It's uh, in a good weather day, it's the most beautiful course in the world when you go over to mountains. And I know a lot of people from the Central Europe part, Central European uh, part of the world. They, I mean, for us being from Scandinavia, we kind of know this type of terrain and maybe are, you know, not, we take it for granted a little bit, but people from the Alps, etc., when they come to Birken, they are stunned because it's so beautiful. And uh, new this year is also that we uh, have uh, two climbs. So we have uh, Raufjället, but also Mittfjället. So we have actually two climb positions. This is a very uphill race, as everyone knows. So it feels not more than right that it should be two climbs in this race. And we also talked about the importance of winning Vasalapet. Of, of course, for Norwegians to win Birken is also very important. It's a very big, you know, historic race. So that that is also important. Uh, moving on, since we have so much to talk about still, uh, Orefes Lopez. And, and that, uh, Temo, that's also the end of the Grand uh, Slam or Grand Classics. So that's actually, I mean, where that part will be decided. Exactly. That That's a good point. Then Orefes Lopez. Again, this is a race that was part of Ismaski Classics in the past, but then returned last season and uh, returned bigger and better than ever because it was 100k race, the longest race ever. And it still will be the same distance, 100k and a tough course in Volodal in Sweden, Orefelsloppet. Gustav, that is a real long distance one. And last, I mean, last season, <laughs> it was like, you know, so tough, you know, the conditions and all that being in a, in a, but that's definitely something that the athletes loved, you know, and as David said, that was picked as the best race. Yeah, maybe it was the, the last race of the season and they <laughs> breathed out. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it is a really nice course. It's uh, in normal condition, if you can say normal. It's uh, still a really tough track, uh, but uh, beautiful. And it's you have everything. You have flats, you have the mountains, you have the... Uh, you're going into really nice woods and... Uh, and lakes yeah over the lakes yeah so uh, yeah and 100 kilometers it's it's uh, the longest race in the tour and uh, it's not extreme but it's still uh really long and you can go with a like a full speed it's a it's a race track and also what's important to bear in mind is that starting from Birken, Birkebeinerennet, there are races every weekend all the way to Ullaslevi. So Birken first, then Orefes Lopet, Reisteleupe right after that, and then Ullaslevi. Long distances, they all long or really tough courses like Birken and Reisteleupe, uh, 50k races or so, but very tough courses, then 100k race and 70k race Ullaslevi. That's pretty taxing for, for the athletes. What do you say, uh, Gustav? Towards the end of the season? Uh, yes, uh, it is. But um, this is the races, and this is how they should be. So they have trained half the season for these distances. <laughs> so um, yeah, it will it will be tough, uh, especially mentally. I think uh, you see the end of the season, and depending on 
what's the situation you have with the, the results and everything it will be a mental challenge then physically then they will yeah they, they it's no problem it's just pain but David, I mean, this is also good, you know, because the the interest for the tour will will remain, because quite often the championship title is decided uh, at Ulas Levi, so the excitement lives on all the way through. Yeah, exactly. With the new, but also the changes of the rule system for the pro team competition that you only maximum can get 200 points per event it will for sure not be that you i don't know well, i could potentially but be that i don't think any team will lead with 200 points at the last event so you need to have all your skiers on the start line so it's actually open it will be open the last event even if it's maybe more likely also which team will will win but yeah the the the, the ending four events is a, is a tough one and as good as said i think a lot mental and especially on the younger skiers i can see that that's that's where it, the difference come that those you know it's very hard to keep your focus at the end on the season when it's getting even tougher and tougher and you feel like kind of so f- hyped for the start of the season but it's it's very important to keep mental energy for what's coming after after Vasaloppen and from Birken and forward, because that's where everything will be decided. And those are the sort of longest, toughest, hardest races too. So, yeah, it's as it should be, a tough and long tour. That's part of the game. And I don't know if we that was Orifice Loppet, but um, I mean, with Race Loppet coming after Orifice Loppet, I think, I mean, being there with this pure... uh, Arctic madness, as they call it. I mean, up there in this environment north of the polar circle, that's, uh, you know, I just long to get up there. And also, we have to remember that Reistelö, but still, that is a race where most skiers use kickwacks. That's a diagonal striding. The race hasn't been won by double polling so far. But, uh, Gustav, what about your team? Are they, uh, are they ready to double pole the race or still you counting on good old kickwacks? I think at the end of the season, when they haven't like used their legs that much uh, throughout the winter month, the, the decision will be that they will go double polling. But um, still, at the other hand, I, I will be someone with kickwax who will win the both the, the women and the men's category. I think, and that's um, also good that the it's. The classic technique we're doing even though if we're just double pulling most of the races it's classic technique and it's good to have races where also other techniques are used to perform well and and the the orta climb which is kind of the reason for for that most go with uh, with kickbacks of course I mean, to put it in perspective, when we do our on-site visits earlier in the season, it's it's actually difficult to drive up with the ski, though, because it's so steep, partly. So <laughs> it is a steep, uh, steep, long uphill. To explain it to people, uh, it's really hard to to describe that climb. Um, for Swedes, if they have been to Ramenberget, Bruksvallarna, and go from Ramenberget up to Mitterkleppen, it's a really steep climb. Uh, you do that climb two times in a row. You do that climb, so it's nothing else in in the tour that is like that. In in the in some other competition, I think. 
Yeah, that is the race where we see a lot of the pro team athletes doing herring boning. <laughs> the climbs are so steep. And of course, this race, Anulas Levy, uh, we also get to see quite a lot of uh, World Cup skiers joining. And you mentioned that uh, most likely someone using Kickwax will win this race. Uh, that could be the case, Gunnulfsen uh, a couple of years ago and so forth. Uh, then after I still at the final one, Ulas Levy, and these two races we haven't seen in a calendar for about two years now, uh, two seasons been due to the pandemic. Uh, been uh, out but then Ules Levy 70 kilometer race so far been really good weather and uh, you know sunny sunny place although you never know about Finland <laughs> but, uh, but let's hope that keep our thumbs up that it'll be sunny again but Ules Levy what do you guys want to say about this one the only race in Finland yeah if I can start I mean it's uh, it's a great season ending because you get to meet Santa Claus at the finish line and you feel like you get presents you know it's really how ending should be and uh, up there in the north uh, getting the you know pre-summer feeling because you know it's almost not really but it's almost feeling like midnight sun because it goes quite fast so it's never gets dark at least so it's um, it's a race that has everything it's uh, something we are discussing internally should maybe the final race have a 300 point race so it's kind of even more points on the table but we're not doing it for sure this season uh, but with the with the new setup, where uh, it's it's a really exciting race to to wait for, and uh, and also the hopefully we can have a, a good season final gala afterwards because I think it's so important to celebrate together, and uh, you know when you have a tour that that's what I'm feel is so special with Vismaski Classics as a tour that the relationship with the, between the tour and the athletes and the pro teams is so so familiar and we don't always agree on things but still it's you know we, we have respect for each other and I think when having the gala is, is very important when they, all of us come together and you know celebrating style with you know smoking and you know best dresses on it, it's a very important part for human beings to actually celebrate something together so from I really, really hope we can do it this year. We're not sure yet what what the conditions will be, but uh, I hope that kind of gives this gives the, the the right ending of a season. So, Gustav, do you remember your first impression when you uh, arrived in Levy and saw the place? Um, yes, I remember that crossing the Tone uh, Elven, uh, and uh, it's yeah, like in Finland, it's flat. But then you have these two mountains, Illes and Levi, uh, and the wood behind uh, the wood forest uh, between them, and uh, you go over these mountains. And I think actually, this is the, my favorite track. It's um, everything in this uh, in this uh, track. So with the flat parts downhill fast downhill parts uh, uphill parts so i think this is a extremely good long distance track you're not the only one saying that uh, it's and a lot of reindeers of course because it's up in lapland and the santa claus as, as david pointed and out. bears because they wake up this weekend normally that's true that's true as well but those are the races that we have we've gone through uh, every single one of them and uh, before we wrap up this podcast let's talk about the pro teams 35 pro teams a little bit as well so that'll be next for us
pro teams, as I said, we have 35 pro teams, and I'm going to go uh, through them one by one, but uh, in, an, in an order of the countries. So we go alf in alphabetical order, but country by country. And we're starting with Austria. We have one team from Austria, Ski Willy Marathon team. Uh, what do you want, guys want to say about this? is Peter Keen's, Keen's team. It's always been very international. It's Austrian team, but they always have international skiers. And the thing that I find really uh, cool about this gang is that they're very passionate about, you know, cross-country skiing, and they want to promote it in their their region. But what do you guys want to say about Ski Willy Marathon Team Austria? Well, it is as you said. It's a really passionate team, and they're working continuously in a very good way, promoting the sport both summer and winter time in in the region. They're also, you know, normal to to be seen in the in the Amring competition is a really cool roller ski race on a I think it's a Formula One track, isn't it, in uh, Salisbury? Yes. So uh, it, it's really uh, an important team to bear the culture of of the tour for for the region where we want to see Austria, and uh, it's a region we want to see more teams and skiers coming from. So it's very important, and um, I know that they have. I don't know if this podcast, I'm not allowed to say it because the podcast might be, I don't know when it's going to be played out. So, But they have um, an interesting female uh, sign up this week as well, which is will be from, uh, from um, I can't say more, but it's going to be interesting to follow them. I think uh, they can surprise a bit this winter. Indeed, and Tobias Hartig is so far the, the best skier in the team. He was uh, 65th at La Diego Nela. And, and, but they have good, uh, really keen, athletes there after that valdava fun team we moved to we believe austria moved to czech republic three teams uh from the czech republic we have valdava fun ski team slavia Pojustovna, and ed system silvini but valdava fun ski team this is the one that had ari lusua and heli heiskanen and still have isaac holmstrom the the finnish skiers in a team uh gustav what do you want to say about the these team or the czech teams in general uh, they have uh, done it for a lot of years, so it's the same teams that are progressing and getting bigger and bigger, better and better. So um, we're still missing, of course, uh, Lucas Bauer's team that had ended, but um, uh, we still have three Czech teams that are, that are really good and uh, it will be nice to see if Stanislav Reshak is competing for the veteran bib. And I think in Vlatava, if I may tell you, I mean, Jan Strail is uh, for me a very interesting skier. He can uh, be a big surprise this winter in some, some races, I think. I think he's been kind of he's a powerful skier and is uh, quite offensive skier, so I think we will see him in TV for sure in, in um, many of the races and uh, it would be interesting to, to follow them. Indeed. Normally, and... Czech, uh, P Czech teams have been more international. They have been really open to get more, especially Scandinavians. But uh, this I noticed that for this season, it's more Czech in, the, in this team. Not that international sh should be, but uh, they ha have been. But maybe that's just a result, a uh, short result of the pandemic, I don't know, but uh, they are really open to be international. Yeah, 
and they are really close. I mean, there's also competition who's the best Czech team. That I know they, they put a lot of pride in because they kind of, the three are at the moment 11, 13, and 14 in the ranking. So they're really fighting who's the best of them as well, not only who's the best in the Pro Tour. So uh, it's a lot of interesting things. And Czech Republic is really um, a country where, where the tour is popular. So we see great TV figures and, and so on in uh, Czech TV where it's broadcast in Czech Republic. So it's really fun to see those, I think. And also it's system Silvini team. You mentioned uh, uh, y- y- there, it's, but we have another great skier here, Yiri Bliska here, who can also be, you mentioned, uh, uh, Srail, that he can be the, maybe the best uh, Czech skier. But Yiri Bliska is also another candidate uh, to do that as well. Vla- Vaklak Sedlacek is other one. Uh, solid top 40 skier. He was 30th at Izeska Baresatka and so, and so forth. So they're good teams. Uh, and and uh, Martin Jax is making a debut. Uh, that's quite interesting to see where he stands. Yes, and he has represented his country at the Olympics and the World Championships. You guys mentioned uh, Lucas Power. I actually saw him in Lillehammer. I'm not really sure if I'm allowed to say this, but he was kind of contemplating. He, was, he, he still misses the scene. And he's kind of putting a team together at least that's what he told me so let's see not for this year but maybe we'll see him returning so that that'll be that'll be cool to see uh, the legend back uh, with his team uh, yeah, and lucas and, and gura two of the team directors in the hall of fame they have won the pro team director of the year awards both of them indeed uh, but then moving on, the, those were the three Czech teams. Uh, then we have the Estonian team. We talked about the Estonian race, Tartu uh, Marathon. Uh, but then we have Team Nordic Jobs Worldwide. Again, very international team because they have Estonian skiers, uh, Finnish skiers, and Swedish skiers. So it's a very international gang. What, uh, Gustav, what do you think about their chances? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not so <laughs> f- familiar with the, with the skiers, but uh, I just think it's really good that we have a team from Estonia. And they're very passionate. I mean, this is, they are, I, I, I will be not surprised if they are a top five team in uh, three, four years because they are working hard and they're working focused and they are improving and and they have now an impressive squad of you know sold out 10 ski years from different countries and uh, even if it might be tough for for mark kevin to to so to say win tartu marathon this winter but he has won several years there at tartu marathon so for him to come home to tartu marathon and for the team to come to estonia to their home race i think will be very special so I am, from my point of view, very impressed of the way they are working commercially and in social media and to build interest. So I think they it's a team to count on in the future. And they, as I mentioned, they have uh, three Swedish skiers as well. Gabriel Street uh, finished ninth in the Bostad Mölle roller ski race. Uh, then they have Gustav Nuström. Uh, he he's a good skier. He was twentieth in the fifteen kilometer national championships there in Sweden, uh, uh, David. So, I mean, there are some good skiers there. Yes, and and it's and, a they they will be seen for sure. Exactly, and then Terhi Polar is there as well, uh, and uh, who's uh, been racing for a long time. Veli uh, Matirasanen from uh, Finland as well. So I think that'll that'll be a, a great team eventually. Maybe not just. And you mentioned Mark Kevin Polus, you know, the team director. He's like a top 50 skier as well. Then uh, moving on, 
to Finland. We have four teams from Finland. I think this is the record so far that we have that many teams from uh, um, my home country. But Team Manpa first. Those guys are ranked sixth. But uh, to be honest, it'll be tough for them to stay there uh, since they don't really have that many uh, strong skiers. They have Viktor Manpa. Yeah, I mean, of course, it was a special story with uh, everyone knows with uh, the breakout of Mamp and Team Ekohus and and so on, making a little bit uh, change. But the season is long. We know that they have uh, Victor, as you say, taking every year big steps forward, uh, and we have uh, his brothers as well, uh, or you know, or cousins okay. are quite close. Yeah, and then uh, with Anna Kylonen being in the roster, uh, let's see when she shows up. But she was really good. That wasn't it, Ilias Leve some years ago. Yes, she did. If I'm not wrong, where she was top five, I think, or ish around there. So, I think it will be. Uh, and they, they still have. I mean, it's six skiers in the roster at the start of the season. They still have four spots to fill up, and who knows who's that gonna be. Indeed, and and you mentioned Kullen, and she is trying to qualify for the Olympics, and she's doing the World Cup races. She just raced in Davos, and uh, will be doing more. So we'll see. But she will definitely join the gang uh, after the Olympics, or even maybe before, if she's not going to qualify for those races. So that's Team Manpa. So far, it's been always been the the number one uh, Finnish team. Then we have three more: Team Edux, and Team Electrofit, and Team Kaskibo. Uh, Team Kaskibu, maybe that's an interesting one. That Kari Varis is uh, the team director. Kari Varis is a f- multiple Finlandia Hito winner. He has so many. He's actually called Mr. Finlandia Hito over here in, in, in Finland. Uh, but he's a good skier. He has a lot of uh, medals at the championships. And speaking of which, he finished second uh, at the 50-kilometer kilometer national uh, race, national championship race last winter right after Ivan Iskanen so uh, he's a good long distance skier although he won't be racing that much himself and he's more of a skater but that's a good team that's probably going to challenge team Manpa Uh, he's got a lot of experience also for from these races from these locations so I think that's good for the team that is exactly and they are looking for more skiers Uh, Kari has said that by the time we reach the end of the season there will be more skiers and good ones he's trying to attract and lure in uh, big-name skiers as well. So we'll see how that goes. Edux and Electrofit. Electrofit, I know, Electrofit is a company that uh, sells uh, training packages, you know, for recreational skiers, but they have this elite group as well. Uh, And uh, although, to be honest, I don't think they will be in a top 10 uh, anytime soon, uh, no, but I, th- I think, uh, of course, top ten is, is really, really, really tough, tough to be honest. <laughs> but, but I mean, uh, seeing also, it's, they have a, a big squad. They have a big, um, you know, possibility. I think, and let's say maybe realistically, they could fight maybe for the top twenty, and uh, and that's an important mark as well to maybe get the license for the next year. So, interesting, uh, interesting team, I think, to follow. And they have been around. They've been. Some years ago, they were in in the tour, if I remember right, and then they disappeared, and now they're back. So, yeah, interesting. Yes, they have been around, and as you said, I mean, it's a, it's a good team, and they are promoting uh, long distance skiing. They're selling packages. They take a lot of skiers to Machalonga and other Bisma Ski Classics locations, and now I'm talking about regular folks. Uh, and they had their own uh, training camp uh, uh, in Ramsau, am Dachstein. So uh, they're very active in the in the field. And then we have the team uh, Edux which has a really a 
good skier Nico Koskela, because we have to remember that Nico Koskela was actually a top 10 skier twice a couple of years ago uh, when he represented uh, Team Ampa back then. So uh, he's a good skier there. Erik Sturval is the, uh, the director of the team. And uh, what do you think about this, Gustav? Do you think that they have chances with Nora Kivikko, Nico Koskela, Erik Silfer from Sweden uh, and a couple other interesting, in, interesting names? Uh, yeah, I noticed uh, Nino Virtanen. So I think mm-hmm. with, with that uh, surname, it will be... Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, interesting. But you have to remember that Virtan is the most common last name in Finland. But Nina Virtan is a Finland Hito winner, so uh, uh, she'll be interesting to see. And and of course, Nora Kivik has been around for a long, long time, representing different teams. So uh, definitely a lot of experience there. Although I mentioned Nico Koskela, but I know for a fact that Nico is also focusing on standard distances. So. We'll see what races he'll he'll end up doing. And, and I mean, uh, not only that the color is blue and white of the team. We know that all Finnish team has a lot of sisu in them. So I'm sure they're gonna, you know, fight for every drop of sweat there is in their body. Indeed, they will. But then leaving Finland behind, we move to France. Uh, team Nordic Experience, uh, and uh, it's actually a longer name there. What do you want to say about this? It's the only team from France now, but we know that there are a lot of good skiers there in this team and it's in the country. It's a little bit generation swift, I would call it, because, of course, we have uh, uh, Roxanne Lacroix and also with uh, our friend Alexis Janereau that was both stopping, uh, hopefully temporarily, that they make a comeback. Many other skiers in the Tour make comebacks, so, because they were very very important for the tour in france and uh, roxanne both of them actually performed really well in the end of the season last year so of course without them in the roster it's a um, little bit more uh, uh, sort of open spots but there is familiar names there's really good with bastan poirier we know his quality and also in skating for long distance so it's very interesting to follow. I know that they have a, a, a very serious way of approaching the season with training, vaccine, setup, etc. So I think they can surprise. Even if the two maybe most familiar names are not there, I would say this French team has uh, definitely an exclamation mark behind it, I would say. The tricolore team. I, I, it's something special French long-distance skiers. It feels really, really special, I think. So... Oh, I'm uh, looking forward uh, to following the team this winter. It is a very even team, as you said. Maybe the, those two big names are not there, but you mentioned, mentioned Pastin Poire, and but there are other ones too. I mean, uh, I know I'm really bad at French names, but <laughs> Arnaud Dubasquier, uh, Theo, that's a tough one, Desvazir, uh, and Anton Auger. They all like top 30 skiers, if top 40, top 30 skiers. And if they have raised the bar... They can now be closer to uh, top 15 or so. They can get points there, at least on a, on a, on a men's side. And there's a, a Finnish skier, Kati Roivas, there in this team as well. And he's a pretty good skier too. So what do you say, uh, Gustav? Do you think that we'll see uh, some surprises from this team? Uh, yeah, I think if it is surprises or I, I almost expect that they will be they will perform well and uh, this is a really good team as David says and they 
are really serious about everything from from their setup to waxing and everything. So um, this is a for sure a top ten team, and uh, maybe hopefully we will see a podium also for one of the skiers this winter. Indeed, we're very positive about them, but it is a good team. Then from France to Germany, two teams uh, from that country, endless local Nordic team, and then the uh, xcski.deaan ski marathon team from Germany as well. We don't have a race in Germany, but two teams. David, what do you think about these two and their chances? Oh, once again, it's uh, two very passionate teams from uh, from Germany and. Uh, they are every year. There are their round. They are at the. I mean, uh, at around the twentieth position in the in the tour, which is uh, it's not easy to get there because it's really really tough competition. And uh, having squads from mostly German speaking part, uh, they have. Uh, I know they have some Australian and also some um, uh, uh, flavor from the USA in the with Meg Lane in the, in one of the teams, and uh, and so it's. It's interesting teams might not have the stars uh, shining for podiums and so on, but they're making a, a hard work as all the teams are in the same training hours. So I think they are always interesting to follow. And some uh, some of the skiers are, are not are younger also as well. And uh, I think over time we will see uh, the German uh, athletes taking steps forward and being closer and closer. And we know also that. We have a German skier that wants to win Vosselopet this winter, so we, um, we we will see a lot of this coming up over time. And I think even it might not be on the you know top at the moment. I think that what the job they're doing is so important for the tour. Speaking of him, Thomas Bing, you know he will represent the uh, the, the uh, one of these teams, the X X Ski that D A A N Ski Marathon team, long names. Uh, and as you said, he he's aiming to win on at least. To do well and he has the capacity he was 11th and he actually fell down he was pretty close to being fifth uh, at Vasalopet last season so Gustav do you think that he has a chance at Vasalopet almost everyone has a chance as you say not not everyone it's 16,000 <laughs> um, you never know what's happened uh, will happen so we have surprises throughout the years in Vasalopet so and it will be a surprise, of course, but uh, if you're aiming for it, it's It could be really good for the sport. And as you said, it also a little bit depends on the kind of the tactics and strategy of the race. If it becomes a mass uh, start, I mean, a mass affair, sprint finish. So then, of course, there's always a chance for, for big surprises there. Uh, but those two teams from Germany, then Italy, we have three teams from there. Uh, again, long names. Team Internorm uh, Trentino Chorzi Max by SZ. That's one team. Team Robinson Trentino. Of course, they've been around. Bruno De Bertoli's team. And then Team Futura Trentino Alta Quota. <laughs> good names. Gustav. Italy. Your Italian is really good too. <laughs> yeah, that's much better than my French. Um, Gustav. Italian skiers. Kind of the same as with the German ones. Uh, we hope to see... They're good, they're good. We have Ferrari and, and Bricadoi, all those guys performing really well, but not that close to the podium yet. But what do you think? When will be the day for an Italian skier to win, for example, Matalonga or any of the Italian races? I know they're very important for them, the local races. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, 
they are um, making progress every year. They are three strong teams. I don't know if one is better than the other. I think it's between them. It's a hard competition to be the best. And I noticed that they uh, they are always international in their team setup. So um, it's. Uh, if it's from an international, another nationality, a skier will win a race, or if, if it will be an Italian in an Italian team, uh, it's hard to say what would be the first. But uh, but, but we had, uh, did uh, Kowalczyk, she won a race in... Yeah, she represented uh, Bruno, right? Bruno's team uh, yeah. in the past. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, but and she's it, a three-time. It, uh, it would be really cool if an Italian won Marcelon, of course, again. Yes, and uh, and speaking of uh, Justina, she won three Pirkebein uh, three times in a row. And we have speaking of Team Robinson Trentino, we have Peter Eliasen yeah. <laughs> returning. Um, yes, exactly. And and uh, you can listen to our podcast. You know uh, the. Uh, not the the previous, but the one episode before that, and you can uh, find out what he thinks about the the race and his comeback. But um, of course, it's not that serious one. And then the uh, team Internum Trentino Sorci Max. That's a team based on a television show. So that that's how it got started. Actually, the team. Yeah, Sotto Zero means uh, Below Zero. That's the name of the program on on this regional TV channel in the northeastern part of Italy and it's quite big one up there so it's interesting that Pascalotto is then the program leader for for that show uh, so it's very interesting the, as well the, I mean it's a lot I mean all these pro teams I mean it's 35 pros are very professional in the way they do some uh, have more budgets and so on have maybe a little bit lower budgets and there hence also possibilities to perform at the top level but but the passion is always sometimes even stronger when you come to these maybe not top ten teams. So and with the Rob, I mean with Peter Lias making a, a comeback, I think they probably have a couple of other aces in their sleeves as well at the Tim Robinson. I mean Eliasson wouldn't be on the start line. He says he doesn't train. I don't believe him at all. I think uh, if he is on the start line, we know it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see him, and it's going to make a lot of headlines you know being there so uh, all these three teams from italy is uh, steadily there they are in good positions and they, i think they're getting more and more shown as well in the races that they are a little bit more offensive from year to year and taking small steps forward so uh, interesting to follow the 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 passion in Robinson is, of course they really aim high with different nationalities and so on on, on the squad so yeah I really like the Italian teams. And also what's interesting about these three te- teams, they all carry name Trentino. <laughs> they like they all Trentino something, Team Robinson Trentino and so forth. That is a region over there. And the region, is, I assume, uh, supporting. It's, it's, actually, it's actually a province, meaning that it's independent. It's, uh, some of these, I think, is, is it four or five in Italy where you have a different government. So they actually are not 100% controlled by Rome. So Trentino is, of course, where Trento is the capital and uh, Marcelonga takes place. But then you also have Sytirol, where a little bit north, where Bolzano is the capital. So they are very proud of, of, of these regions and promoting them where they have their own parliament, so to say. So uh, 
it's interesting that you say that they come and of course this is the Dolomites area of the Italy where there's snow and cross country it's not as much cross country in Sicily maybe so so that could be a reason but uh, but they also I, I must say one more thing Temo that I like with them is that they always have nice colors in Italy I mean I remember the the last year's race suits from Sotto Zero with the you know the strong orange colors Italians knows how to make nice race suits I think they're yeah, always very visible there so then from Italy to Norway, 11 teams, one of the, uh, of course, their favorite countries. We have so many. They're the number one country in terms of the teams. Uh, let's start with the team Rakte Charts, formerly team uh, Rakte Eiendom, and before that team Sandander and so forth. The Auckland Brothers gang. And you mentioned earlier, David, that these guys, they kind of used to be number one. But now, now good stuff. You are the number one guys. What do you think about the, are these guys going to be your toughest opponents? Uh, one of the toughest, of course, yeah. Uh, their nickname is uh, Ragde, Real Ragde. It says a lot of uh, what kind of uh, uh, power athletes they have there in, in their team. So, um, yeah, they are focusing on wins that's for sure and they have as you mentioned really uh, tough ones like a new god andres Nigord will certainly be back in shape i had a tough season oscar kadin performed so well uh, there that's one and a lot of new names new and new but uh names that can be really good cusper stardust and 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 uh Hauk and, and all those guys so overall, really a, a strong gang there. Gustav, what do you think is the kind of the strength that this team has? Uh, the strength is that uh, they are focused to win. <laughs> the, that's the only thing that matters, I think, sometimes. So um, and um, we and also they have a lot of experience from. Auckland brothers and uh, of course from the other athletes and uh, especially from uh, Magna Dalen uh, who also brings uh, a lot of uh, good atmosphere also to the team I think so yeah um, and he's really good good with skis like you are he has that magic touch <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, he's I don't know how many years he's been in this business but uh, he's got the experience uh, he's got uh, so much experience that all of the other 34 other Vax teams together have so he's extreme and they have I mean in the team even if it's a little bit changed it's 30 wins together it's the most uh, Logger 147 has 20 is it 28 yeah, 27 wins totally in the team. And Ragda is actually 30 wins. And that's we know how difficult it is to collect wins. So there's a lot of winning culture in that team. And then they also have very strong uh, women's team, Marie Björgen, who will do maybe about five races. Also, Teresa Juhauk has signed in. So she might do some races after the Olympics. And then they have uh, also Marte Malum Johansen there as well and Anniken Yerde Alnes. So I think the- I think Anniken has taken I, I believe we'll see when the when the season starts, but I think she's taken a quite big step forward. We know it takes a couple of years when you enter long distance 
from traditional skiing to actually get the endurance. And I think the speed we know she's had uh, 100%. She's one of the best, fastest skiers in the world, probably. But to see um, see the endurance increasing also, I think uh, Anniken can be an exclamation mark this this winter. Of course, there is you know a little bit weakness that uh, Björgen and Juwag is not doing all the races. So for the team, in order to win the pro team competition, but... For me, the, maybe the biggest duel this winter is Emil Passion against Andreas Nygård. I think they both longing for it. We should Emil will get an extraordinary season, but Nygård was injured a lot of the part last season. So I think it's going to be so interesting. It's thrilled to see. I mean, Nygård's really going to fight back, and Emil's going to take one step forward. He's still young one step forward for this winter, seeing them in, in sprints that winter, that's going to be extremely thrilling. See who's the fastest. And also, we shouldn't forget uh, Johan Höhl. He's already been on the podium uh, and I think he will be again. And same with Kasper Stardas and, and uh, Kasten Juhauk. They can they have the potential to be on the podium on a good day. So, so it's a... Yeah, and Kad- Oscar Kadim was hammering uh, in the competition uh, just uh, this last weekend. So, I think he's up there again. Uh, indeed. Moving on, then Team Kuteng Edison. That's the team that Kuteng that joined with um, Sunbu's team, uh, or Sunbu uh, left standard distances behind and became a long distance skier. And this is the team now again. And here, Timo, I actually have a little bit more information than you two have at the moment because when we are recording this podcast, they are about to launch three new skiers and I happen to know who they are. Do you want to know? Yes, we do. So they're not going to have two Slin sisters. They're actually going to have three Slin sisters in the team with the Kari joining as well. And Astrid, of course, everyone knows the, the strengths and uh, her uh, one egg twin sister, Silja, because I have to say it because they're so similar. And it's also, you know, there's actually rumors that Silja has been competing once in ski classing with Astrid's bibs. Uh, it's probably just rumor, but there is a rumor. Uh, but they are so 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 hard to to separate in the looks, of course. So, but Asti and Silja they are super strong, and maybe especially uphill. And then with Kari coming in, which I remember back in the days when we had the Spirit team, Spirit that we were looking at Kari as a you know potential super talent for long distance skiing. So the three Slin sisters in one team that's going to be super exciting seeing them. And I think for them in the pro team tempo competing together, that's going to be a great feeling. Uh, on the male side, I can just give you, then we can discuss, but i give you the, the secrets. Uh, they have um, uh, both Mattis Stenshagen and Mikkel Gunnelsson that's going to sign up for the Rusen. And Gunnelsson we've seen before, and uh, yeah, what a skier. So, and then we, we didn't even mention, and I didn't mention Sundby and Jesper and Systa, but uh, maybe this is actually... Maybe with the favorite for the for the pro team competition, even if the reigning champion Ramadan is is should be there, but I think this will be a very very tough uh, tough uh, competitor for Gura and his team. So what do you say, Gura? Now you when you heard about the uh, the new additions to this team, are you uh, sh- shivering there a little bit, getting a bit nervous? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not getting nervous about that. Of course, it's great skiers; they are really good. Uh, I'm more excited. Uh, it's um, maybe we should change the name to Real Koteng now, <laughs> or is it uh, some Barça Koteng Real Ragde? Uh, FC Koteng. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, really good, and it's uh, really exciting if we could see the the three slins at the team time try. What do you think about Sundby, Gora? What what do you think? I mean, that's an exciting name, winning of course races before in the one race in Birken. There, but what do you think of his chances? Uh, he will be good. He will be. Uh top 10 skier and him and he will be maybe often also top six to win race to be on the podium i still believe he needs uh, some special conditions maybe heavy conditions heavy snowfall or wet conditions tough course uh, so he absolutely have a chance to to win a race or to be on the podium but I don't believe this first year he will be a challenger for the for the yellow bib. That's probably the case. It'll be interesting to see how well he can perform. Moving on with the Norwegian teams, we have so many good ones here. Team Expand Fuel. Uh, Emilia Fleten and Toras Jedal in there. Two really strong skiers. Of course, the team uh, itself has been around for, for some years. But now with they're showing that he can leave a bigger team and be part of a small, be a captain of a smaller team and still perform that well. He finished second uh, in the uh, the champion competition. He's he's always up there. He's always been in top three. That we have to remember that. Sometimes he's a little bit under the radar, you know, when he comes to the big names and so forth. But he's always there, and he won Vasa Lopet. So, uh, Gustav. What do you think about Emilia and and uh, Torasle? Will they be as strong as they always been? Yeah, I think so. They're podium candidates every competition, so um, it's uh, good teammates. Uh, they're really good, and they maybe it's hard for them to to reach the. They're they're getting a lot of points on on these people, and also they have a. Uh, What's the the young Norwegian? I lost the name. Uh, Thomas Erdegaard. Uh, he um, is really interesting this year. So, yeah. Hey, Erdegaard has really been one step forward in the Absolutely. summer the pre-competitions here. So in Beitostolen, I think, as well. So I think Erdegaard will be maybe one of the male exclamation marks this winter. The pink bib. Perhaps. Yeah, maybe even one of the favorites for it. And also, we have to remember that in Emilia Fletten's case, she's still chasing after the big victory. She's been on the podium so many times, but still, the victory has eluded her. And if you want to listen to we have a podcast with her, the the one that's out there uh, uh, right now, actually. So that's you can find out about her, you know, uh, uh, goals and stuff and life. She's an interesting person. As well, yeah, and it's a little bit similar to to where Astrid was some years ago before she took her first victory in I think it was Ilusleve, wasn't it? Emily is so close to the victory, and when it comes, I think she has the potential to to bring lots of them. And if she takes a little bit step forward, and she takes her first victory, then um, she might miss. I don't know if I'm right or wrong here, but maybe like this X factor. She's really all round good at everything, but. But I think it will come, and then, uh, then I'm sure she's so close every time. So I'm sure she's gonna be top of the podium within a couple of years. Indeed, she will. And uh, she said that she learned a lot from last season, and now she knows how to attack and how to fight 
you know, for the uh, for the number one spot. But moving on, Team Nosgran. This is an interesting team because uh, it's brand new. And they're still top top ten team, and you might wonder why. But they're actually using the uh, team target uh, partner Husserl's uh, license here. So, but this is a young young team here. Is there anything you want to say about these good stuff? You know, these guys. They the um, most of them are like you know twenty three, twenty four, twenty five years old. You know, so it's a very very young team there. Yeah, the the team has been. And around as uh, partner, as they said, for a couple of years. So um, uh, I don't know if this team set up with the organization, everything is the same. Uh, but uh, I think they're serious. At least for the long term. I think they're part of the same organization as what now then is Team Näringsbank and that they are kind of two teams with the same organization that one is I think this Norsk Gran is a little bit like the the younger team and uh, with of course Magnus Bleken having a you know big experience so yeah, I think they, they should be seen as it's kind of two teams from the same organization so I think they they will probably camp along uh, this winter I will believe in them um, during the tours but yeah, interesting skiers. Could you see this as the recruit team or I would I would say a little bit like that, yeah. Even if it's probably not the way they see it. In, interesting format. It is, but they have three athlete, athletes at the age of twenty-one. Two athletes between twenty-three and twenty-five. So yes, they are very young. So certainly, as David said, this is probably the approach that they have. This this for this team. We had to talk about Team Nattingsbank very soon. That's a that's another team from Norway as well. But Team Kaffebruggeriet. Bedlatulis gang, that's next for us to analyze. What do you want to say about yeah, this? Here, well, I also have a little bit pre-news here, but this I cannot reveal in this podcast because this is going to be aired on Thursday. And Friday this week, they're going to release one female Olympic gold medalist in the team. So I, unfortunately, I cannot say more. I would like to do it. But with that name on board, I think uh, it's going to be very focused to follow what they will do this winter and Vettli is taking step by step forward Stian back and definitely a contender for the green bib if not more and uh, a very very interesting team I think in the way they work also as, as a T-Pro team I think it's they, they can win races yeah these coffee boys and girls they've been around for a while and we always expect so much of them uh, before the season starts and this is even something that Vettli himself has said you know uh, uh, you can also listen to our podcast uh uh, where Wetlet talks about this, that for some reason they haven't been able to kind of fulfill the promise. And Wetlet was so close at Vasalopet. He was fourth. He was in a breakaway group, but then ran out of juice and uh, couldn't stay with the uh, the top three there. But maybe this will be the year for him and his gang to finally shine. Uh, Gustav, what do you think? How How optimistic or positive are you about their chances? Uh, this team is a really cool gang. There are a lot of testosterone in this gang, so it's really interesting to see uh, this new recruit, a female. It will, will level it out a little bit in the team. I don't know, we'll see. But uh, for a couple of years, we talked about um, wins and podiums and and when it will happen to Vettle. If I stop saying that now, he will not do it this season. 
maybe it will change and he will do it. So uh, I say it. I don't believe in Vettel. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I, I believe him. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I have to. I have a soft spot for him. I think he he will be yeah, on the nice, podium. Nice, very nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now I will uh, bundle some uh, teams together. We have uh, Team Coop, Team Rusta, El Oslo, uh, Team NTNUI Sveco, Team Sunfeld, and Team Stray Waterwell. All the, <clears throat> these come from Norway. A bit of a smaller teams. Uh, what do you guys want to say about these NTUS uh, university team? Always interesting that, that they have this kind of background. But I, yeah, but I think uh, this shows the, the the width of the sport in Norway. That there's 11 pro teams and non all these t- skiers are probably at least top 30 skiers in all the team's possibilities or so. It's really, really, really a big depth in um, in the ranks, so to say, of uh, skiers to, to find and, uh, and dig from. So... I mean, when we are giving out uh, license, pro team licenses, those are not top 20. We look at results, look at quality. We look, uh, and, and always if you're from a smaller country where, or it doesn't mean if it's small or big, but they, where they don't have so many already raised pro teams, it's, it's a little bit easier to, to get the, um, a license than if you come from Norway or Sweden, where the most teams are from. So, and still there are 11 there. So it shows how how strong uh, interest and how good skiers and athletes and how um, lot quality in the tradition there is in Norway for doing uh, cross-country as a sport. That, that I would say is kind of what it means for me. And also you mentioned the, the kind of tradition, you know, Rustaf, EL, for example, is a big ski team in Oslo, very traditional. They have a long history, a lot of world championship, Olympic winners in that team. And also Sunfeld team, Sunfeld's been around for a long time. Team Coop's kind of interesting, but the Skinstars gang, he knows... Um, his namesake, Peter Nortug, pretty well. And we know that Nortug is in a good shape as well. He did so well, you know, at Clyde at fifth place. Uh, he could, I don't know for sure, but he could represent Team Coop in some of the races. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, here's a technical thing where we should maybe put a couple of minutes or seconds on. But because in order to be part of a pro team and to register, you need to have an active FIS license. And when Peter Nortuk stopped, he cancelled his FIS license and he was in what we call the Adam system, which is a VADA level, which is the highest level you can have in, in cross-country skiing that you are in the VADA group. And the and then, so to say, it needs to be six months period before the active license comes back uh, as active because so you need to wait six months until it was done. And while speaking, uh, we don't know exactly what date he signed on, but we, you know, he cannot sign up on a pro team until it's active. So we we will see when it becomes active, and then we will be so happy to welcome Petter because it's a it's a skier who really meant maybe most of all the present skiers for the sport in the world. So to see him on the races and, uh, and I think he has the hunger back in the, to, to do something uh, in the long distance as well. So, so I think sooner or later, I'm sure he will show up. That's probably the case. We'll see if that's going to happen this, this winter, but we know that he's in a good shape. You know, he surprised everyone by being, uh, doing so well at Clara Sloppet. But then I'd like to talk about the team Narings uh, Banken, which is actually ranked last, but it's it's a good team because they used to be the team uh, target partner, Shushu, and a top ten team. And now, since they changed changed the name, they are ranked thirty fifth. 
But when we look at this, Seaman uh, Ingebrigtsen and Udli, you know, it's uh, second at Clarves Lopet, you know, in September uh, ninth. Uh, this is Kaparesatka in 2019, 10th at Vasalopet in 2020. Then we have Vinyas Kuxholm, uh, good Sophie Elebru, Marirene Serum Gangsha. I mean, good skiers there. So, Gustav, what do you think about this team? They will definitely uh, uh, climb the ladder when it comes to the pro team competition. Yeah, and uh, my analysis, this is the, their goal also to be definitely top 20. Um, but they have a, a really good team, so if everyone performs well, they will be top 10 uh, skiers here in almost every race, so uh, this is maybe also a top 10 team in the overall. And it's a little bit... Uh, um... They use tactical skills, I would say, when registering the teams because and a lot of Italian furbo, which uh, means that you have a fox behind your ear. And they were leading carefully the rules. So when they actually paquet partner changed name, then they put the lower team on the paquet partner name because then that was guaranteed a protein space because it was uh, the license was top 20. And then the great Know, the, the the stronger team they put on a new license and then of course we with our rules we had to consider that team as a new team and then they achieved two licenses so it was a very tactical smart move by by the team director showing tactical skills which is uh, quite impressive and also this team ha uh, has signed andrew musgrave they had to do some races as well and we know his capacity i mean he's a bit of an uneven uh, racer uh, World Cup racer, but you know, top 10 in the world when he comes to, on a good day, when he comes to uh, standard distances. And he's done a lot of our races too. So I can be the first winner from an island, I guess. And uh, But before we leave this team, Siemeng Engebretsen Nordli, he's also one of the skiers that's been around. And as I said, top 10, Clara Veslop at second place. Gustav, do you think that this could be a year for him to finally reach a podium? Or do you think he has a capacity to reach the podium? Uh, yes, I believe he has the capacity. Uh, then it's always a lot of things that should stand in a row to that, so it will happen. But uh, yeah. don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. We won't be surprised if uh, Seeming Ingebrigtsenudli is on the podium come winter 2020. Moving on, the only Russian team, Russian winter team, ranked fourth. I mean, tough team. That could be a contender to beat you guys, Gustav. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. They uh, they will be stronger than ever. Uh, and uh, I just noticed that the skiers who are coming from that team is like Rigalina, who competed last year. She's performing really well. Don't be surprised if she will be an Olympic racer. I don't know, but she's performed really way, really good. So uh, this is top level athletes, all of them. And uh, if they are now, they're bringing new names. You don't know who it is. It's still I know it's still uh, really, really good racers. So um, with the experienced racers and the new ones, if you can say the new ones, uh, this is a really good team. 
And Ermil Vokuev is in the team. Definitely, we know that he he's a he's a, a contender to to win every race he participates in. Uh, what I'm really interested in seeing is uh, Mac- Maxim Vileksanin. You know, we know he's past, and you know his Olympic and and World Championship uh, um, glory, but step by step, he's been uh, uh, climbing up, and he's I think he could be a podium skier this winter. Or what do you guys think? Is he finally ready to be on the podium? He should good uh, form this summer in the roller skiing Lake Saima, as you maybe mentioned. So, uh, hard to say, uh, but what we know is that uh, there is tons of good skiers in Russia and uh, all of these, and I, they have a couple of spaces also uh, to be able to fill up. And um, I, I mean, this is... Uh, they are a top five team for sure. Yeah, looking at uh, Maxim Vileksanin's uh, performance last year, he was fifth at Jiseska Baresatka, 10th at Machalonga, eighth at Vasalopet, and Tososen Criterium 64. So certainly a top 10 skier, there's no question about it. But then the podium, that's another one. Also, Alexei Shemiakin, he's been on the podium uh, once before. And uh, you guys mentioned the uh, the females skiers there as well. And uh, uh, Olga Chareva has been performing uh, really well. So we'll see. The one problem that these guys have, that they have uh, also engagements with their local races because they represent not ski clubs, but they represent regions. And that comes uh, with the baggage, uh, meaning that you have to represent certain races there. So they're kind of juggling between our races and the races that they need to do back home as well. And and also we know the COVID-19 situation is quite difficult for the teams outside the European Union with passes and tests and everything. So it's not, it's a difficult season for them logistically wise, I would say. Indeed. So Swedish team, seven teams from there. And let's start with your team, Team Ramutten. That's next on my list. How are you guys doing at this stage? Just before Usha, you you feel comf- comfortable and confident that you guys can defend the title? Uh, it's like this. Um, it's been... Um, we have the same athletes. Like last year, we have recruited one uh, one young girl, Gita Palmberg. And uh, we, we, were, we were a good team, as good as last year, but we have had some injury problems with Jenny uh, Larsson and Ida Dahl. Uh, which have set us back. Uh, if you look at what we can achieve this this winter, I think. But um, for Jenny's part, it will be uh, hopefully maybe will she will join us for some race in the end of the season. We'll see. Uh, for Ida, uh, it's ro- looking better and better and uh, she was competing in a small race uh, yesterday and uh, that I think was among the best I ever seen her so but um, if the shape will be stable or we will be up and down or, or if she will get a setback from the injury we don't know so uh, um, but uh, so on the latest side it's not quite as good as last year maybe uh, what about your wife? How is she doing now? Ah, she's Lina. doing everything. Is going great. 
so she's there, of course, and uh, she will. Uh, of course, it's, uh, it's a lot of pressure, pressure from from herself and from from others. If you're defending champion and uh, you have uh, all the victories from last year, but uh, she just had to focus on performing as good as she can, and uh, hopefully that will be a couple of podiums and hopefully some victories also this this uh, winter but uh, yeah uh, i think it's good uh looking good so but um on the other hand we have the the men who has been uh, reeling really been doing some progress this summer and uh uh, especially we've seen Max with his old uh, roller ski victories and he's uh, really super strong. Uh, he's a podium candidate for sure. Uh, we just have to uh, don't get any he will not get in any trouble but uh, we'll see. Uh, Maybe he should start counting that in that he will break a pole or he will fall every race. So he, he got that into the calculation to perform. But uh, uh, now he's uh, he's really good and he's also bringing up uh, uh, Johannes and Herman to to really good levels. So the the, the men's team are really interesting this winter. Yeah, I think there definitely will be podium candidates. And you mentioned Max, and he's a little bit unlucky last season. And uh, But the question is, everybody's kind of pondering that because he was so superior this summer uh, in, in the roller ski races. Can he maintain that stamina, that kind of status? Um, yes, uh, I think it's um, he has that... Uh, capacity still and I know he's in really good shape um, but um, now he's meeting up with top level candidates uh, all of them in these races a lot of things can happen um, so it will be tough but uh, it's looking better than ever Speaking of top Top candidates, Lager 157 ski team number two, right behind you guys. And Emil Parson is there. Uh, Britta Johansson Nogren will be back. She'll be a you know, force to be reckoned with for sure come this winter. What do you want to say about these guys now looking at their roster? Uh, I know they are super motivated to, to be, yeah to be the best team after this season they have been on the podium for a lot of years and uh, uh, I think we by beating Ragda and them last year we maybe showed the way for them so I think they are the favorite to be uh, the top team after this season even though we will challenge them be sure um, with Emil Persson and his, uh, he has uh, this uh, finish that is really successful, uh, and with that weapon, he is uh, uh, the yellow bib candidate 
favorite for me um, with Andreas Nygård. Um, so David, yes, please continue. If now I just uh, if let's say we have a lot of other skiers also is yellow bib candidates, but if we should have like Max Novak on yellow bib candidate, maybe he must win the races in another way than these two guys can. Uh, so that's a big challenge tactically in the men's race. So David, what do you think about Britta? Do you think she'll be back? Uh, it definitely looked like it when she did the competition, this Grand Clips premiere, and that she was uh, for sure not uh, in a bad shape, so to say. And then it's, of course, a pre-season uh, competition, etc. And the summer, we've never seen Britta ever good at roller skiing, so to say, that she's not, so to say, in race mode, maybe. But that I definitely looks she looks strong, I would say, uh, from what we can see from the outside. And the one name, of course, the Akrukamurud we saw last year in a couple of races showing really class when she came in. But uh, one name we should maybe definitely sign up as a uh, joker of the season is Hanna Falk, that I think could be a really ugly surprise for the other team, for other females in, in the tour. She is super strong. She is super fast. The question is, does she have the endurance? And it, it uh, from seeing the roller skiing long in the summer, it looks like uh, she has stepped up in the endurance as well. So, so on the female side, this is it, it's a lot of interesting names there. I think all three of them actually potentially can be candidates for a yellow bib. That is true, and Hanna Falk won the Clara Veslope, the 90-kilometer roller ski race, and she's, as you said, performed really well uh, this summer. And then the uh, the men's side, they also have Eddie Edström and uh, Marcus Johansson, who's been on a podium, and, and Runa Skalk-Mathiesen, who's also a solid skier. So this is definitely a strong, strong team, uh, no question about it. Moving on to another interesting name, Team Engong. This is Jerry Arling's gang. So, so Gustav... What do you think about these guys and their chances? Uh, I think this is a really interesting team. They have been around now for, is this, is this the second or third year? Uh, Something like that, yes. Yeah, and uh, they have a, a, a plan for the future and, and they have a really good squad. Uh, this um, Torger Sulen Ovland, uh, he will, if he's on the sprint finish with Emil Persson and Andreas Niga, don't be surprised if he will beat them. He's extremely fast in the sprint. Um, but he will, he must go there also, come to the, to the, this uh, situations. But uh, he is really interesting. It's interesting to see what he can do. And then he, they got Didrik Tönnset, Jens Burman, Jenny Solin and Oskar Svensson, who is World Cup skiers, <coughs> more or less. So uh, maybe uh, they are probably Olympic skiers, Oskar Svensson and Burman for sure. Um, they will maybe not compete until the end of the season, I guess. But uh, it's an interesting setup and... They uh, will be a team to count on in the next coming years. 
And I'm, I'm really keen on seeing how Oscar Svensson can do. He's a really good double bowler. So, uh, but of, as you said, they won't be able to uh, participate until maybe after the Olympics. So, but those interesting names, those three, they're for sure. Uh, and Laila Coeli, two-time Barcelona winner, still there. And uh, Gabriel Höyland, uh, he managed to be close to the top ten in several races. And you mentioned Turger Sulan Hovland, uh, and um, then Anils. Uh, Passion, I managed to be eighth at Waladars Rennet. So th- there are some good names there. So um, they're now uh, ranked 12th. So they're definitely shooting for a top 10 you know, spot in the protein competition. Yeah, and Halen will definitely be in the fight for the pink bib. Indeed. And moving on, more Swedish teams there from Engong to Team Kurira. Also a team that's been around, uh, Klaus Nilsson, Vasa Lopez, fifth, not this season, but the year before. And now they have Stian Hölgård as well. Yeah, this is an exciting uh, team because it used to be, of course, Team Igne and then became Team Kurira. And it's actually been a, a secret transformation of the team. So it's actually kind of moved out of Skellefteå a little bit and down to southern I mean, the, the team director, Johan Kask, is based in Örebro. So it's a little bit uh, interesting that Johan is, uh, is a, a familiar name to us in the tour. He was part of the, some Swedish teams there in as a team director in the first seasons of the tour and then disappeared for some years. But it didn't, didn't disappear completely because he was actually winning the fantasy competition the, the first year. So he was kind of following there and it was... Yeah, really good in the fantasy competition that year when he was not part of the Brutor. Uh, but uh, with the Stian, they get uh, a solid uh, top five skier. And I mean, you, you can count on him. He's going to be up there. Klaus, has a, if, he, if he gets all the energy in one direction, I think he, he is uh, definitely top 10 candidate and maybe more. Uh, so I, I think this is... Uh, very interesting team to follow, not only for this winter, but for the coming maybe three, five years. I think they have something, a long-term plan. Indeed, and they also have uh, Gabriel Thorne, who's a, kind of a top 10, a top 40 skier. And uh, Alfred Nielsen is a young skier there. And then they have uh, young female skiers uh, that could do well eventually, maybe not at this coming season. Anna Lodin, Saga Nilsson, and, and so forth. Stian Helgard, what do you think um, Gustav, kind of like Emil Fletten. I mean, he's he still hasn't won a race, and he's that's his big goal. But when we think about Vasalopet, he was on the podium five years in a row, except you know this past winter. So definitely a Vasalopet skier. Yes, but. I think uh, maybe this change, uh, team change for him. Uh, come to this organization. Um, he's the like the captain, but Klaus is the captain. <laughs> but Stian is yeah the best. Um, I think that will bring some extra boost to to Stian. I think so. Uh, Don yeah, he's uh, he maybe will take this first victory this year. So you hopeful that that'll finally happen for him? Um, yeah, I think um, it's quite good odds on that. Yeah. 
Then moving on to an interesting team, Oscar Svart's team. He's the captain of this team, Echo, who's that's that's definitely could be these guys could be the top ten. Gustav, what do you think about these guys? How concerned are you from your perspective that these guys can uh, be a they, tough uh, opponent for you guys? Yeah, uh, this is um, they are aiming for the for being a top. Uh, a podium candidate in the in the overall, I think, with this uh, athlete setup, uh, uh, everyone is really good. Everyone has the potential, pretty much, to be top six at uh, the competition. So um, this is a really good team. So ranked thirty-one now. Uh, yeah, it's a top five in the end of the season, I think. Most likely with Modne de Pedersen there and also Axel Jutteström and Erik Ruscher. I mean, Erik did really well there, you know, uh, this early season, part of, you know, the, when the season started. And also Axel's been really strong uh, in the roller ski races. So these two guys, we all know about Morten's capacity. Lin Sömskar. Really. Uh, what a... What a... What a form she's been showing since uh, since after last season. Of course, um, she was one of the skiers that had problems in La Diagonela with the cold and got, pretty much got her season destroyed last winter. Uh, I think uh, she will be maybe the biggest exclamation mark in the female side this winter. I, I'm not surprised even if he, I'm not surprised if she actually wins the yellow bib. I think she is um, very interesting to follow. And then they have Hedda Bongman. She's been a, uh, around a little bit as well. And Carolina Hederström is uh, those two other, other the female skiers that they have. But definitely an interesting team there. And we'll see, as, as Gustav said, these guys will be most likely top five, top six uh, at the end of the season. Then moving on to Exitec ski team and then ski team girlings. These are like new teams. What do you guys want to say about these two teams coming from your country? Uh, they have brought together uh, some interesting names that are uh, all of them could definitely be in other teams. Uh, so uh, all of them are, are uh, good skiers, uh, interesting skiers. And uh, uh, then if they have the, the organization to to give them the the right support and everything, I don't know. But uh, this is a this is a excited exciting team. And uh, Pontus Nordström, that we of course brings in a lot of experience to the team. He was uh, he he's been of course in the Sarnica and so on in the Pro Tour, but then when he was not in the Pro Tour. He was performing really well at the national competition, long distance competitions in Sweden. So I think he has a very high, highest level, I would say. I don't know if Gura agrees, but... No. He's a podium candidate for this uh, uphill time trial, I think, in Misurina, if he goes there. Yeah, there are some interesting names there. On, uh, you mentioned Pontus Nuström, Axel Bergsten. A lot of uh, good names. Do you have anyone, Gustav, anyone in particular that you have high hopes for? Or just sort of generally speaking, you feel that these teams will will climb up? Uh, in this team? Or, or... or the, these two teams? Exitec uh, and uh, Görlings. Uh, this, this guy, Tom Fallen, is really interesting. He has been, uh, he's not that young anymore, but he has been competing in Sweden for 
several years in uh, Swedish long distance races and uh, he has been performing well race after race after race for many years and um, it's really interesting to see him in uh, this uh, uh, in the Lisma Ski Classics now in the Pro Tour. And and I think if we speak ski team Gerlins there, it's it's actually a team from southern Sweden, from Småland, which is quite interesting because it might not be so familiar to, you know, equals Korsgrand skiing in the south. But that team is a super young team with very high ambitions for the future. I'm, I believe there will be a top 20 team already first season if they if they have the able to perform. So, I, I mean, the Gerlins has... Many bright years uh, in front of them, I think. And then finally, we have one more team, and we'll leave Sweden behind. We go to Switzerland, and that, that is the team BSV Ibex. Uh, that's Markus Walser's team. They're certainly, we talked about these teams that are really passionate about. This one certainly is, and this is created uh, on the basic idea of giving an opportunity for skiers who can or won't make make the national teams, that they have a platform to perform as well. That's been sort of a, the grand idea or goal, you know, for Markus Falser. Uh, but the team has grown and, and, and they have... Uh, yeah, it used to be... Yeah, it used to be a young team. I mean, now they're actually, I mean, spicing it up a bit. Uh, Ton Levers, of course, been around there, and they, we know he's been a World Cup winner some years ago in 30K. Uh, but Shinusov being there, I don't know what the plans are for him this winter, but of course we know the the level of uh, Ilya. So uh, a great skier to have back in the tour. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a certain Colonia shows up in this team during the winter either. Indeed, that is his goal, actually. We talked about that on our podcast, that the Colonia could be a good name. You mentioned Ilya Cernusov. Uh, I know for a fact that he is trying to qualify for the Olympics, but he will do a race. He's Tony Levers, as you mentioned. He's also the assistant coach uh, for the team, but he will do quite many races. So he's not just a coach. He will be an athlete as well. And then there are a lot of uh, younger younger uh, athletes and uh such as Andre Schlitter you know, and uh, Nico Walther. You know, these are like top 50, top 60 skiers there. Uh, so, so, But it's good to have a team team from there. Uh, it's had a lot of experience, but then again, uh, some youth in it as well. So now, Gustav, when you look at all these teams overall, uh, we've gone through every, almost every single one of them. So <laughs> a, lot <laughs> a lot of things, yes. <laughs> what do you want to say about this, this roster, you know? These teams, 35 teams. Just uh, look at it overall and it's um, okay. It's Norway and Sweden have a lot of teams totally, but uh, internationally it's uh, it's growing, especially you see the other small teams are getting bigger. So it's, I think it's looking good. I'm missing teams from... Um, or skiers from from Poland, I think they have a potential, um, and also from America, from Canada, or from the U.S. So, um, in the future, they will come next year, perhaps, or during this winter, maybe we will have some in the teams. What can it be done so that we can get like American skiers, Canadian skiers, some other countries as well? Yeah, I think the challengers concept with the four to three events, there is one way to so to say show them that that there is this potential and possibility. And hopefully 
sooner or later we will have our first North American pro team. That will be a lot, I think, to uh, to build up the interest over time. But of course, it's they have a lot of local competitions in um, in North America and so on. So it's a big step for us to move over the Atlantic to do competition is like the same for them doing long distance. It's um, that will come, and uh, I think that's as good as us in Poland as well. They have a great poss- uh, possibility and potential in those uh, countries. So that's uh, we can grow more. How realistic is that that we could have a proton? You mentioned challengers. We have challenger races there. I have American Birkebeiner is one of them, uh, but a pro tour event in that continent. It's very realistic. We have uh, we have a couple of of candidates in the in our shortlist, so to say. But it's also a big step. So you need to fit in a calendar in a good way, so it's uh, affordable for the proteins and also suitable in where it comes in terms of other events. That's kind of always in the, stable in the calendar. So, uh, but uh, I mean, sooner or later, I think we will cross the Atlantic. But uh, we'll see when. Indeed. And before we wrap up, a quick word about this coming weekend, Usha. Uh, we talked about that earlier a little bit, but what, what do you guys want to say about this now? David, you first and then Gustav before we wrap up. The season starts this weekend. Uh, we're getting pumped up in the crew because now, you know, we do. I know that it's the same for the proteins. There's no relaxing period because right after the season, they start training, but we start planning. So, I mean, we've been since May planning for this winter and with all the post- potential uh, problems that could be in a post corona or even still in a corona season, so to say. So, we are really thrilled in the in the crew to, to get going. So, we're looking forward. You know, delivering uh, our TV product again, not not just sitting planning in the computer. So, really happy to 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 travel up on Wednesday to to Usha and or and being there, getting ready. And you, Gustav, what do you want to say about this weekend? Uh, collect your things and come to Grand Prix this weekend and share for share for us and all the other athletes that are competing. That was a good summary. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, David and Gustav. The season is definitely starting this weekend. And as we have mentioned, we have 14 races in 12 locations, season 12. It'll be the most thrilling one so far. And if you guys just want to send us an email about your ideas, feedback, things like that, the address is podcast at wsportsmedia.com. Once again, podcast at wsportsmedia.com. So stay tuned for the season opening, season premiere, and also stay tuned for more podcasts to come. For now, I'll thank you guys. I'll thank you, everyone out there, and stay tuned for some more action. Bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.